Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. Welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest, and today we're covering Bulgaria. Super exciting to meet the Bulgarian Bitcoin Maxis, and we are Global Bitcoin Fest. We started back in 2021. We were giving away free sats in Latin America, playing around, trying to explain Bitcoin in Spanish, and we created a little chat group for that fun. And one day, Six days before El Salvador went live with the legal tender law for Bitcoin on the 7th of September, somebody in the chat group suggested, hey, let's do a Twitter space 24 hours nonstop and uh, celebrate Bitcoin adoption together with plebs worldwide. So uh, we had six days to organize this. We didn't have a name. We didn't have a concept. We had nothing in place. We just thought it, it would be a good fun to do that together. So we put everything in place and uh, we did 24 separate sections in one space with 18 different countries. And it was amazing. It was really fun. And we decided, hey, we have to continue doing this. So let's do it once a week and cover the whole world. There's 192 plus countries in the world. Let's uh, get to know all of them. Let's get to know the Bitcoiners everywhere. And today we're getting to know the amazing Bitcoiners in Bulgaria. Super excited for this. This is one of my uh, favorite uh, places that I would like to go to actually. So I'm really curious to learn more before I go there. But before that, we have a first song that we want to play. And um, that song is Together by Four Magic. This is some young hot chicks modernizing some traditional Bulgarian folklore rhythms into a pop song. We don't have any name to our quotes because the uh, quote producers uh, have chosen to remain anonymous as some of the quotes are less politically correct. So they don't want to get heckled on Twitter later, which we understand. And uh, here is the song. to add anything to that song i do like the sound of it i'm not a big fan of bulgarian music to be honest myself i don't listen that much music in general i, I listen to music pretty much only when uh, i'm in the gym or i'm working on the background so that's on close to my vibe but yeah generally speaking bulgarian music can be quite diverse so i really 
do salute Bulgarian group for trying to, you know, like pick up traditional Bulgarian folklore elements and adding, you know, like a more idiom, modern sound to, you, uh, to it. And also the lyrics, uh, obviously, you know, like no one can understand them unless you're from Bulgaria, but uh, the lyrics are decent as well. Thank you. I'll start by introducing myself. I'm Lucas. I'm uh, your co-host today. I started my journey in Bitcoin back in 2013. I was busy doing my startup to sign documents electronically. And uh, I heard about Bitcoin for the first time. And of course, I thought this is too expensive for me. I checked what has the lowest unit cost. I bought Feathercoin. Feathercoin was the cheapest thing you can get. I bought some Litecoin and I mined some Litecoin and I spent a couple of days doing that. Then I just forgot about everything. I thought I would do DCA every week or every month for the next few years, but I never did that. And then I got kicked out of my company in 2017 and I had some time on my hands traveling in Southeast Asia, dug into Bitcoin again, but 2017 was very tumultuous in Bitcoin where there was the block size wars. There was a lot of people trying to fight over Bitcoin and I got really confused. So I ended up shitcoining all in, went all in on shitcoins, lost 98% in the following years. And I really had a distaste for Bitcoin. In 2020, when we sold my company, I started looking into different assets and I really didn't want to touch Bitcoin. It was really the last thing I looked at. But as everything looked really uh, manipulated and crazy. Finally, I ended up with Bitcoin realizing that it's actually the only safe place to store your money. So I tiptoed into Bitcoin and in spring 2021, I got my head bashed in by Maxis here on Twitter Spaces. And I realized that Bitcoin is the only solution. Since then, I've been trying to figure out what I could contribute to Bitcoin. So while I haven't figured out anything additional, I'm doing this together with the rest of the Globe Bitcoin Fest crew. And I'm also doing a startup to send emails. And I'm going to build in some Bitcoin features into my email app so that the people that are emailing will see Bitcoin all of the time. So maybe I can orange pill them over time. So that's me. And uh, Mr. Plamen, co-host, brought everybody here. Thank you very much for bringing the crew. Please introduce yourself. Hi everyone, so my name is Plamen Andonov, which is a traditional Bulgarian name, which I know that, you know, in different cultures, especially more Western ones, it could uh, sound a bit weird. So I'm a Bitcoiner since uh, 2017 myself. The, the long story short is that I uh, found Andreas Anton Paul's on uh, Reddit, I think it was. Uh, back then I was saving for a house to buy in London, in United Kingdom, and the bank offered me 0.1% interest rate. And I was like, that's insane. If I give you, you know, like uh, all my savings pretty much at the end of the year, you're going to give me back like interest rate for like a few cups of coffee. Then I started browsing credit. I found the Fire Financial Independence Retire Early subreddit, read a bunch about, you know, like stock portfolio, 401ks and whatnot, which have nothing to do with the way things are done in Bulgaria. And uh, I started just exploring ways to, you know, like uh, save money and uh, protect myself from inflation. So long story short, I discovered Bitcoin. I discovered Andreas and the Pauls. I started watching, binge watching his videos. It makes sense. Limited amount of money, programmable money, the internet of money, the internet of things being powered by this uh, currency, smart devices paying to each other, writing uh, scripts that allow different, uh, more complex payments and so on. Eventually, I started investing slash saving into Bitcoin. So this is 2017. The bubble starts growing, then it bursts. Then I remember 2018, I had this harsh feeling in my stomach that I hope this doesn't die. Like I'm ready to lose all my money 
all the savings that I have and I've put in, in Bitcoin, I'm fine with it going to zero. I'm not okay though with this dying out because I was like, this is just too important. It's too important. It's also too big of a problem, especially in, in Bulgaria. We know why and we're going to get into that a bit later. Now, 2023, Bitcoin price is like $20,000 or so after a crash again of 70% uh, plus from uh, all-time high of 69. And this feeling of Bitcoin, it might die and it's too important to die. It's not there anymore. Back in 2018, for me though, it was. So yeah, I started, uh, you know, like popularizing Bitcoin in Bulgaria back in 2020. I was invited to one of these shitcoin scamming pyramid schemes. I was like, this is insane, this uh, pyramid scheme, this is a scam. The rest of the people who got invited to this presentation did not have my three years of research on the topic of uh, Bitcoin and uh, they didn't uh, realize what's happening and this is how I decided to start a YouTube channel where I speak in Bulgarian language and explain my first, very first clip on my YouTube channel is eight minutes long. It's what is Bitcoin? in Bulgarian language. And I go through what is money, what is inflation, how it happened in the past, how it's happening today, and what's the difference of your digital money in your bank account and uh, Bitcoin and so on and so on. And then I continued with other educational videos that were on the topic, what is blockchain and so on. And eventually channel just grew and grew and grew. We got enough uh, following to be able to start creating uh, larger projects. One of them is uh, the Bulgarian Bitcoin Conference. Last year, the second edition was international. We had uh, Greg Foss that I'm sure you've heard of, Jeff Boot, Kuyu, Knuts Van Holm and others, uh, Natalie Brunel and others coming from all around the world to Bulgaria uh, in order to visit us, attend our conference. Also, I written already but continue adding two books in bulgarian language about bitcoin uh, the first one is called uh, bitcoin forget the price realize the value where i don't speak about the price i speak only about how can bitcoin be useful regardless of the price ten thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars and so on the other book is called bitcoin myths and legends where i just speak about the standard foot Governments are going to ban it. Mining is bad for the environment. Oh, it's not limited because you can always fork. You can make Bitcoin cash, make Bitcoin, Satoshi Vision, whatever the other uh, forks are and so on. Uh, so that's pretty much it. My Bitcoin story. I, I never was a shitcoiner just because uh, thanks to Andres and Woes, I realized what Bitcoin is and I completely separated from uh, any other uh, shitcoin. Shitcoin casino is a casino. You know, it has a place it's, uh, in the world, but uh, shitcoins are uncomparable to, uh, to Bitcoin. And uh, the people that they brought with me share, I hope, this view. Thank you so much. Puamen, it's like an L with a kreska, right? Because in Polish, it's like, L, it's like an L with a line through the L. Maybe it doesn't it's, look... It's like not like Wrocław. It's Ław uh, or Ław. It's Plamen, it's not Puamen. Ah, okay. I know what you're talking about, so yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean okay. the L. Is it a W or a L? Yeah, it's a L, like in love. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, I have Polish roots, so I was wondering. Right. Yeah, so we met in El Salvador, and that's where we talked about doing this space and adopting Bitcoin. Super nice. I had to, I had to well. go there because there was the Edinburgh conference, and there was this game, Are You Toxic Bitcoin Maxi? And they were like, all of us, all of the audience stand up and they ask like questions. And if the answer is yes, you stand up, you continue standing up. If the answer is no, you must sit down. So it was like, hey, do you have any Bitcoin? So obviously everyone stands up. Have you done a Bitcoin blockchain transaction? Do you have a Lightning Network uh, application on your phone, wallet on, on your phone and so on? And then one of the questions was, 
have you been to El Salvador? And I had to sit down. And I was like, damn, I want the award, you know, because I had to sit down because I haven't been to El Salvador. So I was like, that's it. I'm going to El Salvador next month. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was a great conference. Okay, so next is Mr. Victor Georgiev. Hey all, uh, thanks for uh, being part of this gathering of this community. Yeah, my story is a bit shorter than the one that Plamen shared with us. I heard about the Bitcoin in early 2014. Unfortunately, I wasn't ready enough back then to get more information about it, to understand how it works and the logic behind it. But uh, later on in uh, 2017, after I reached some of my friends, which uh, were investors in uh, some ICOs, they told me about the crypto community, the Bitcoin, etc., and how the stuff work. From then on, I decided that the easiest way for me to understand the whole community and the whole material, I needed to join some company in order to understand better how the logic works. So I entered the ICO as an intern. After that, I was uh, analysis for another company where we were doing exchange coin offering analysis, if you remember those. Binance and Qcoin have those. We were providing analysis there. From then on, I switched to a private fund where I was providing color kind of analysis in Taiwan, etc., etc. Year by year, I start seeing the value in Bitcoin and I understand what are missing parts in the other currencies. And that currently that the only protocol that have really matter and have really value behind it, it's Bitcoin. So... After that meeting with Plamen in uh, 2020, we, me and my wife start uh, helping with whatever was possible to him, to his conference that, that he made. And from then on, I am very grateful to Plamen. He showed us the whole picture and the reason why we should be a Bitcoiners in Bulgaria. So after that, we started doing some paintings, etc. And currently we're here in this meetup. Whoop, whoop. And what do you do now, Victor? Currently, I'm a project manager in B2B company, so we're providing payment services. But I couldn't uh, say that it's for a crypto company, unfortunately, at this stage. Okay. Maybe in the future, yeah. Yeah, you should orange pill one of the uh, <laughs> top guys in the payment company. I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's hard. It's hard uh, when we're talking about billion-dollar corporations. Okay, so um, next one is Martin Krastev. Okay, hello guys. My name is Martin Krastev. I'm 41 years old. And my story, again, just like Victor, is uh, with Bitcoin is very short. Thankfully to Plamen, I got the exact perfect, I can say, time. People always say I'm late, I'm late. Plamen was the person that uh, made me never think of that. So my story is I'm an interior designer. I have been all of my life after my graduation in 2005. 2020, uh, my daughter got uh, born. And in 21st, I met Bitcoin because I decided that for all of these years, I finally need to make something that I can leave to her. So of course, at the beginning, the idea was uh, profits. Oh, not exactly Bitcoin, but uh, it took me just a couple of days research to find Plamen. It was kind of a coincidence to get him exactly and his channel. 
since then there's been nothing else except Bitcoin for me. He got all the ideas that he got from Andreas to all of his followers. So it was exactly orange peeling, I can say. Uh, my ever, ever first crypto buy was Bitcoin, of course, so nothing else. And for me, I'm still, of course, an interior designer since 21 is, was not so uh, long ago. Uh, my ideas are making some transition, maybe in another field that is more connected with Bitcoin community, since I don't think that my job could be very positive in this way. In any case, uh, I have done it for so many years that I'm a little bit tired. And with all of the things that I have learned from Plamen and from uh, Bitcoin and from all the people around the world, people just like you, Lucas, and all the people that we are watching every day, like Breedloff, Andreas, and so on and so on, Michael Seller, Max Kaiser, and so on. All of you have been through this, changing your complete mindset, changing your view. So pretty much I can say that now my mission is to make a transition to something new that could be more Bitcoin orientated. Okay, so it's a Bitcoiner that's ready to uh, dive into something uh, Bitcoin only, right? It's going to be a hard transition because my job is completely different. So it was very hard for me to understand a lot of the things for the protocol, for all the idea and so on. But as I said, and uh, just like Victor and I guess most of the people that Plamen invited here to, to speak, he's the person that make everything very easy for us and totally orange peeled us. So Plamen is the main, the major figure here. Okay. And next up, uh, Nikolai. Hey everyone. So um, my first, let's say, encounter with Bitcoin was in 2013. I, of course, ignored it. At that time, I was in um, IT and finance. But the uh, most practical experience that I gained was late 2015, early 2016. As you can see from my now changed profile pic, I was also influenced by uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh, one of the people who really opened my eyes in terms of Bitcoin. So ever since then, basically, I've been a proponent of, of the idea. I have some interviews in Bulgarian media from 2018 when Bitcoin had the huge drop of 3K. I was up there talking on, on TV about how this is just the beginning. I've uh, written a couple of ebooks related to Bitcoin and mainly, let's say, I don't know, trading. I was in shitcoins at some point. Uh, of course, I've been through two, maybe three cycles now, and it's been a, a, a real roller coaster. But again, the main thing that I uh, I realized from from that experience was basically that Bitcoin has no alternative in that regard. And since then, I've been helping and supporting Plumen and uh, basically the community, the Bulgarian community, participating in, in Plumen's podcasts, uh, conferences that he organized and so on. And um, shortly about myself, I'm currently, I have my own business consulting uh, company uh, that basically I consult uh, clients on uh, management consulting, let's say management in general, but also uh, I have a few clients who have an interest in, in crypto and Bitcoin, and I'm very pleased to, to explain and uh, introduce them to the concept and to the, to the environment in general. I'm also a 
chairman of the board of directors of a publicly traded uh, investment company here in Bulgaria on our Bulgarian stock exchange. Interesting. Curious what you're doing there also with the investment company. Let's let's talk about that maybe later. Zdravenko. Zdravko, that would be you. <laughs> Speaking about difficult Slavic names, my name is Zdravko Georgiev, probably very difficult for you guys to pronounce. I'm 23 years old and I'm a fourth-year aircraft engineering student in Scotland. And my journey with Bitcoin is a rather funny one as it uh, began when I was 12. So in 2012, I had a very tech-savvy friend who was always into new technologies, games, and all that kind of stuff. During my birthday, he gave me 10 bitcoins, which were worth about 50 bucks or 100 in Bulgarian currency. Since I was a teenager heading into high school, my mind was not focused on, <laughs> on bitcoin and that stuff, so I completely forgot about it. Then a year later, uh, we were browsing the dark web with friends, and I saw that the price has risen to about $100. So I did the simple math and I realized, holy shit, I have about a thousand dollars. What would a teenager do with a thousand dollars? Sell the Bitcoin and buy a gaming PC with the money. Afterwards, I completely forgot about Bitcoin. I focused on my studies to become an engineer in the future. One day in 2017, me and a couple of friends decided to joke around with crypto and mainly Dogecoin. We bought some, some of it for fun, as it's, you know, in 2017, Doge was a big meme. It was a fun joke, and then we completely forgot about it as well. And then at the end of 2020, I found Plamen's YouTube channel and uh, started to learn more and more about Bitcoin and the failing financial system that we currently have. And that opened my eyes. So that guy is responsible for orange peeling me and uh, making me the guy I am currently with all my knowledge about Bitcoin. Uh, I sold all of my Dogecoin during the first pump in February 2021 to five cents, thanks to Plumman, by the way. He told me, he said in his streams, oh, that's a shit coin, guys. I can't understand why people are buying that shit. So I sold it and converted everything into Bitcoin. It was a large sum at the time because, you know, I, I must have bought like 0.000, I don't know how many zeros, and convert everything into Bitcoin. And then afterwards, I focused mainly on working, improving myself, gaining money so I can invest in Bitcoin and explaining to my close friends and relatives that what Bitcoin is and how our system is failing and how we need to adopt it as soon as possible to avoid a total collapse. I got into contact with Plamen at some time during 2021 and said, hey, I'm a student. I have a lot of free time. How can I help you in any way with what you're doing? He asked me to help him with the organization of the first Bulgarian conference, which was only about his YouTube channel following. It was focused on crypto entirely and some parts of Bitcoin. And uh, I've been helping him ever since. Whenever he needs, I'm there. I keep on learning. And uh, that's my journey so far. Bada boom. I think Plamen wants to say something. Yeah, that was actually a horrible financial advice thing. Sell so the Dogecoin five cents, having in my pump to seventy or whatever. But it's a shit coin, okay? I don't understand why this shit pumped so hard last twenty twenty one. Okay, I, I I remember in one of the streams, I haven't checked the price for like I don't know, like a month or whatever of Dogecoin, and then I see it, and I literally start, I bursted out laughing midstream. I couldn't believe how, why, like market is so irrational like what is happening here yeah that's hilarious Zemeko. i just want to thank to thank plamen for uh robbing of the opportunity to be a bitcoin well now 
<laughs> so how do I pronounce your name again? Zdravko. Zdravko. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, Zdravko. Thank you very much. That was great. Thank you. Very inspiring story. You you could have been richer if you shit coined all the way, but happy to have you here. And uh, we have uh, two speakers that are Globe Bitcoin Fest. We have Dax Sosa in El Salvador. He's giving away free sats. He's the node runner and the node runner king in El Salvador. He uh, serves uh, Max and Stacy from time to time. He works at Mew Premier Bitcoin as the CTO, basically helping everybody there running their node. He was the one that got the sats from Jack Dorsey uh, on Noster uh, when he tweeted out. And uh, he's just a super awesome dude. Hey, Dax. Hello, people. I'm Dax from Salvador. I'm giving away a, a few sats for, for all the listeners. And nice to see you guys. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Dax. And uh, we have Victor. I met Victor in Prospera. He's a Slovak Bitcoiner and uh, he's traveled the world. He's done all kinds of stuff. Uh, very interesting philosopher. Victor, I think uh, maybe better if you say a couple of words about yourself. Yes, hello, hello. So I started with Bitcoin quite early, oh, let's say 2015, 16. I was speaking with my friends and we were making plans how to buy it because it was not so easy back then. We were almost buying Bitcoins, but then the price went double up and we said, okay, we will never buy it anymore. And then when the price was like three or four times more, then was the time when I started first. But of course I was trying to, to trade. So I never had that much uh, Bitcoins as when I bought it. I bought it, I had many, and then I started to trade and it went down, down, down all the way until I'm here now. and. Uh, trying to get my first full Bitcoin again. So that's that's my story about Bitcoin and about traveling. I was traveling uh, many countries and also Bulgaria. So I'm really uh, lucky to be here. I have some interesting questions on you guys later on. Thanks, Victor. So very nice to have you all here. And it's time for another song. Islel. Yedelio Haidutin, I don't know, I must be slaughtering the name, sung by Valia Balkanska. Okay, so this is the first thing aliens will hear when we make first encounter. I'm not kidding. They actually chose the song to be flying in space on the Voyager 1 and 2 space probes.
powerful stuff. Anyone wants to add anything on that one? Most probably for the most of the people, this song sounds very strange. It's a Bulgarian national folklore song. So nobody knows the author of this song. It dates back years, years. It was chosen actually from an American folklorist named, I think, Ethel Rhyme. I'm not sure anymore, but it was something like that. Back in 1968, when she was in Bulgaria, when she heard the song, she liked it very much. And with some other things going after this, and uh, at the end, finally, this song appeared in the Voyager 1 that was 1978 or 1977, something like that. So it's uh, more than 40 years, this song in the space. And as Lucas said, this will be maybe the first thing that the aliens will hear. And it's something from Bulgaria, which is very, very interesting. Well, it's actually not me saying those quotes. It's uh, you guys that made them. Yeah. I'm just reading. Yeah, yeah it's something that uh, actually you know, because it's one of the, there's a lot of uh, music and sounds uh, recorded on the Voyager 1 and 2, but uh, it's always... Uh, pleasure that we can say it's going to be the first thing that they're going to hear is Bulgarian song. Oh, I'm going to say I'm not surprised that we didn't have first encounter by now. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe <laughs> or maybe they were like okay, that, that's, that's an interesting choice of music. Let's give them some more time, you know, to develop their <laughs> stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but jokes like yeah, that is uh, that is as close as it gets to like a uh, traditional Bulgarian folklore. With the uh, how is that instrument called that is being played in the song in English? That's pipe, bagpipe, pipe, pipe, bagpipe. Yeah, where else do they use uh, bagpipe? In, in Scotland, uh, they use bagpipes, don't they? Lower like a different variation of them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but it's not like the most, uh, it's not like a guitar or a piano or a trumpet or something like the traditional uh, instruments. But yeah, in Bulgaria, that's definitely one of the uh, most standard ones, uh, again, from the Bulgarian folklore that uh, evolved throughout the centuries. Interesting. And that's a great start on our next section, which is uh, Bulgarian history. Plamen, uh, who do you think uh, should kick this off? I cannot remember. <laughs> so, I Actually, I called my my father, who's an archaeologist, before this space and asked him to give mm. undine on, on Bulgarian history. If you want, I could kick it off. With <laughs> that I yeah, you could start with that. Okay. Yeah, so, so apparently the first state of Bulgaria was started in 680. Before that, the Bulgarians were nomadic people with uh, Turkish roots. The remarkable thing that happened in the early days of Bulgaria was that Bulgaria was a headnik people, and obviously um, they were fighting quite hard with the Romans. Actually, the Bulgarians were very successful in kicking the ass of the Romans. They were so successful that one of the emperors, Roman emperors, got really pissed off. And uh, there's this story of him taking a 10,000 uh, Bulgarian soldiers and poking out their eyes 
and every thousand soldiers had one eye left. And then they were led to, I guess, the capital where the king was. And the king got so upset that he died from a stroke or a heart attack or something like that. After that, the Bulgarians were a bit curious about Christianity because it seemed like a good thing to adopt. There was a special decision made by a pope because they were teaching the Bible in Latin everywhere, as you know. But for the Bulgarians, they made an exception so they could teach in Bulgarian. There was a guy called Kirill something, and he had a brother, I think, or a friend. They were asked to document the Bible in the Slavic languages. So they made an alphabet, which is called the Kyrillic alphabet. So the origin of the uh, Bulgarian alphabet, which is also similar to the Russian alphabet, actually is in Bulgaria. That's some of the stuff that I learned about early history in Bulgaria. Do you guys want to continue? Jeez, that was actually fantastic, not gonna lie. So listen, I asked ChatGPT to give me 10 most important facts about Bulgarian history, okay? And it actually did a quite good job. Uh, what ChatGPT says is ancient Thracians inhabited the territory of modern Bulgaria from the 4th millennium before Christ. The Thracians left behind impressive tombs and burial mounds which are still being studied by archaeologists today. So this is the first thing that ChatGPT mentions, which is true. So I mentioned uh, earlier the Bulgarian conference in uh, October 2022. Uh, Greg Foss, uh, uh, Jeff Booth, Natalie Bruneo, Knuts van Homas, more uh, famous names, uh, came to, to visit us. And we went actually to these Thracian tombs, and they're made of these gigantic stones. Like imagine, let's say, the Egyptian pyramids. Uh, and these stones are like that size. They're massive. They're very big. And you go to them, and you literally touch them, and it's surreal because you're like, these stones have been here, like, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. I'm touching it today. Someone touched it yesterday. Someone touched it 10 years ago, 100 years ago, a thousand years ago, even before the Roman Empire. It's just real. This is the first one. We're going to move to the second one. Uh, the Bulgars are Turkic people established kingdom in present-day Bulgaria in the 7th century. They eventually adopted the Christianity and became known as the Bulgarians. Third fact as most important facts stated by ChatGPT is. In the 9th and the 10th century, Bulgaria was a major power in Eastern Europe under the rule of the first Bulgarian Empire. Its capital, Pliska, was one of the largest cities in Europe at the time. So Pliska to this day is a very uh, beautiful place to visit and, uh, you know, like just like see the old ruins. In 1018, Bulgaria fell under the rule of the Byzantine Empire, which would last for almost two centuries. In 1185, the Second Bulgarian Empire was established and under the leadership of Tsar Ivan II, Bulgaria regained much of its former power and territory. Sixth fact, the Ottoman Empire conquered Bulgaria in 1396 and the country remained under Ottoman rule for nearly 500 years. During this time, many Bulgarians were forced to convert to Islam and suffer discrimination. As, uh, as stated earlier, we are and were Christians. Still today, a lot of people are Muslim? No, 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 no. So th they were forced to convert Muslim during the uh, conquer, I'm going to use the uh, word. So a lot of this uh, conversion, some of it I would say was fake. You you say what you tell you to say, you do what you te uh, tell you to do, but actually you do not, uh, you know, like change your religion. Doesn't work like that. Saying the word doesn't mean anything. In the 19th century, a Bulgarian national revival movement emerged. In 1878, Bulgaria regained its independence from the Ottoman Empire. 
During the World War II, Bulgaria was an ally of Nazi Germany. Oh my gosh. But he did not participate in the Holocaust and saved the lives of thousands of Bulgarian Jews. After the World War II, Bulgaria became a communist state and remained so until 1989, when the country transitioned to a democracy. So let's talk about the communist years. I can imagine there's been multiple hyperinflations. Could you talk a little bit more about that? After the Second World War, uh, the invasion of uh, the Red Army for establishing the new regime in Bulgaria. So there was the elimination of our elite, the victim of the communisms. There were actually tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. But those repression was mainly to the intellectuals and the businessmen in our country, meaning that the people that were bringing value to the country and were developing its structure were actually eliminated, which led us with only the, um, how to say it, um, the most stupid ones. So each of the persons that weren't actually participating or wasn't sharing the same views with the regime, which was from 1946 to 1989, which is 45 years, was called uh, an enemy of the people, which meant that if you're an enemy of the people, your family, your children, children and all related people to you would be prohibited to go to a college or to have some kind of a degree or a decent job, which was uh, very sad as this actually um, bring again the most uh, stupid and unprofessional people in charge of the country. From the beginning of this period, actually for 45 years, we declared bankruptcy three times in our country. For 45 years, three bankruptcies is a pretty big deal, which leave us and with the current situation that we are at being the poorest country in Europe. And we'll just start with the first bankruptcy as I see it as the most important one and just will explain uh, what actually happened there. So the Bulgaria adopted the Soviet approach for uh, economic development, which was to start working on a five-year plans for development. And here is the difference between the West and uh, the East. With the West, the development was driven by the market and the consumer demand, which was not the case with Bulgaria and the Soviet Union. It was called Petlevkus, which meant that the politicians were actually saying, we understand better what are the needs of the people. So we are going to start developing something what we think is better. It's it's like to give a gift to some person. You are not asking what he needs and what he would like to be given, but you are giving him something that you think that um, you would like or he would like. And this actually uh, led us to the first bankruptcy, which was in the latest in the latest fifties, beginning of the sixties, and it was mainly to the ambitious plans of the Bulgarian government and the uh, dictatorship at that state, which uh, wanted to industrialize the Bulgaria, and uh, they took a lot of debts in a foreign country. Uh, but the problem was that the production, which was mostly agricultural, was sent into the um, closest circles of, of countries. And uh, 
most of the debts that Bulgaria had was of the its largest creditor, which was the Soviet Union. So to replay those loans, Bulgaria gave its own gold reserves, which were around, I believe that the exact amount that we gave and it wasn't returned back to us, it was around 23 tons of gold. It was sent for, to Moscow. Nobody in the public understood that the gold, the reserve that actually was behind our fiat currency, the Bulgarian left, was actually being transported from Bulgaria to Moscow. The reason that it was given even to the party was that the building that's uh, treasuring this gold wouldn't hold atomic bomb attack and it should be it should go to Moscow. So this was the explanation that it was given to the politicians, but the citizens didn't understand know of that. So we gave the gold. So this was the first uh, bankruptcy of Bulgaria. We could say that after this transfer of our gold reserve, which was hidden for almost 30 years from the public, the Bulgarian left lost its uh, coverage as before that it was said that it's uh, covered in gold. So if you if you see the, um, the old fiat currencies, it's, it's written there that for this currency, there is gold actually in the, cur- in the country, but we gave it to the Moscow. And the reason for that was actually the, the bad policy and that we actually eliminate our elite. So we let, let's say, the stupid people to rule us and to give us their ideas how the economy should work. The next bankruptcies were in 1977 and 1987. I won't go into details, but the idea is the same. It, it isn't an open market and uh, the development that uh, was adopted by the Soviet, the Soviet Union approach wasn't actually working. So all of those led to more debt that Bulgaria took and that actually led to the fail of the communism in Bulgaria. Let's say it like that. So after that, we had the period of the hyperinflation, and we could call that period a transitional period. Victor, we could say, uh, yep. people that don't know, the Bulgaria left communism in 1989. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Now we are talking about the 90s. Okay. This is the actually the place where we had those food shortages, and it was a real big challenge for the people back then. They were given false promises from the party. The party was assuring them that it will take care of them. It will take care of their children. It will take care of uh, their pension funds, etc. And at the end, the public needed to understand that actually all this utopia wasn't working and 45 years was lost in some way. And there isn't money. There isn't a gold reserve. Actually, there are debts debts in foreign countries, uh, foreign currencies that needed to be paid by the public. So this led us to the transitional period, which was marked with high inflation, unemployment, and uh, highly declining the living standards, which uh, bring significant challenges to all the peoples as there are shortages, shortages of food and uh, basic goods which actually become uh, the daily reality for all Bulgarians. And here is the shock for the Bulgarians. Here is, uh, and I just want to 
um, say why I like pretty much the Bitcoin as for the last 13 to 14 years, it have provided us with the clear idea how the protocol should work. You know exactly that there will be 21 minutes. You know that the halving is on four years. There is a block on each 10 minutes. And all of that is publicly visible. So it's clear you don't need to trust a third party. You don't need to trust a politician or anything like that. And what we are seeing in Bulgaria is that for a 45 years, not only the elite of the Bulgarian people were slaughtered and their businesses, the people that produces goods and services for the rest and actually bring the value to the community were slaughtered. But it was mainly 45 years of lies and uh, all of the energy that people could store and transferred to the next generation was taken from the people. And this is the part where I see that uh, actually we would need Bitcoin Bulgaria as we have lost any kind of trust in the institutions. There is no integrity in the data. Actually, even the data about the inflation during that period couldn't be actually trusted. So we don't actually have a real data of what the inflation was during those 45 years. And all of this bring the society to uh, the states from where the government will take care to you, to you to that you need to pay the debts of the mistakes of people that told that they are smarter than the rest of them. Uh, I read that the inflation reached something like 270 or 220 percent sometime in the 90s. So uh, obviously it was quite insane. So pretty much I'm born in 1989. The hyperinflation was 1996-97. So at the time, I must have been eight, nine years old. My parents were working at a chemical uh, factory, producing some chemicals, you know, like that they needed for uh, manufacturing of other stuff after that. So I'm a kid, right? I'm eight, nine years old. And uh, the dollar went from, if I'm not wrong, from three leva per one dollar to 3,000 lever per one dollar so this is a thousand x and me as a kid i hear this the dollar just hit 2700 and i understand something's happening like it's something exciting something big's happening but when you're a kid you have no idea you, you know like you've heard the word dollar so many times so you know it's a dollar what exactly is it i don't know but it's the dollar and today let's say if, if you hear like let's say the pound hit uh, $3,000 per pound, per the British pound. You'd be like, Jesus, like what happened? Did US go into hyperinflation or is UK like visited by aliens and now they're occupying the island? Like what's happening that this currency is so valuable there? And uh, super quickly, I'm going to share this uh, personal story that I've shared many times with my audience, but I want to share it here now internationally. So when I was a kid, when I was like five years old, my grandfather puts all his savings on my name with the idea that when I grow up, uh, with all the interest rate that is being offered by the national savings accounts, which is the national, you know, like it's not a random bank, it's the national one, it's the one you can trust. With all the interest rate from them, 20 years later, I should be able definitely to buy, or 15 years later, I should be able to definitely buy uh, a flat for myself, you know, move out uh, from my parents' house and uh, live by myself. So he puts all the money there. At the time, the money is uh, just enough for a third of a uh, property. And what happens is 27 years later from that bank, they call me 
and they tell me that I have an account with them, and I'm like, that's that's wrong because I have only one Bulgarian account, bank account, and it's with another bank. And they're like, no, no, you have one, and it was opened the bank in 1994. And I'm like, that's insanity because at that time I didn't have national ID, I didn't have a passport, I didn't have any document to identify myself. There is no way I opened a bank account with you. And they explained to me that it's like a special savings account on the name of someone else. So you open it on the name of your children, of your grandchildren, or whatever, and it comes with a caveat that you cannot touch this money. It's a high-yield, high-interest-rate account, but you cannot touch this account until certain age of the person that you uh, uh, signed the contract for. So my grandfather signed it for when I turned 18 to be able to access that money. And until that moment, I cannot spend it. But what happens is, when I turn 18, nothing happens. No one contacts me. I don't know about this money. No one tells me about this money. When I'm already like 30, the bank calls me and then I realize about the savings account. So what happened is, my uh, grandfather puts, let's say, $50,000 equivalent today into a savings account. And what I got after 30 years of interest rate, what I get back is the equivalent of $30, which is just enough for a dinner at a semi-cheap restaurant in Bulgaria. To me, this is why I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner, because uh, the way I see it is that my grandfather got fucked because he saved this money. In order to have this money, you must go to work. You must do value for other people, unless you are, you know, like a criminal or whatever. So they pay you, and then you have this money, you can spend it on whatever you want. You can travel, you can just not work for a year or two, you can just drink, you can buy drugs, like backhookers, like do whatever you want, it's your money, right? But he was strong enough emotionally, psychologically to be like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do the right thing by my grandson, and I'm going to put all this money in the bank account. So he does that. He has all the will, the, the you know, the mental will to do that. And then what happens is I got fucked because potentially speaking, I should have had like a head start. I should have had like a very nice beginning of my adult life, being able to have my own property, not pay any rent, just pay the bills and so on. But that was stolen from me. The time spent earning that money from my grandfather was stolen from him. It was literally better for him to just waste that money, gambling or whatever, at least have some fun, than putting it down for him. So this to me is horrible not just because me and my grandfather got fucked but also because the message it sends the message it sends is like you cannot save so this is why i am such a big bitcoiner and i devote so much of my time thank you so much so guys uh, that was quite a history lesson of bulgarian history time to move into present time and before we do that, we have a song called 3v1 by Upsert. Back when Satoshi Nakamoto was writing Bitcoin source code, he was listening to this song, just like all other young and foolish Bulgarians back in the early 2000s. Okay, so Satoshi was Bulgarian. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> Нека да съм ти седло. Аре, покажи ни ведро. Ти какъв беше, когато нямаше нищо. Нормален софтиски дришо. А още пушиш ли кошки? 
Питай на някоя друго въпрос. А ти нямаше тази тотинка дерно ли? Притежавам десетки левове. Керим е колко критики. Ако не бях да си каламерити, мацки цайси, пести, марки, мацки с джанти, 19 ки Скрий се и въгост. Три се ето и да нос. Финал един секс он да бич. Отих малко на доле до Петрич. Примоция в унесе се. Три спита за двете марки, едно прасе. Преса и партия жълта. Та плюва ауна гълта. Три в едно. Юбец всеки ден. Рапа чилка да си That was 3v1. Does anyone want to add anything to that before I pass the mic to Victor? Uh, uh, this group, uh, which is called Absurd, was very popular in Bulgaria. Still is, actually. They're very favorite to Bulgarian people because of the text that they have and the messages and the... Uh, things how they turn around with the politics with the history and when you listen to it it's not like a world class hip hop <laughs> but uh, so maybe it's not very interested uh, for the people that are not from bulgaria but the, the the text is actually pretty good that's why it's included in the in the list Thank you very much. I did enjoy the video a lot. It's pretty expressive. Yes, yes, the video too. <laughs> a lot of uh, butt shaking. Hey, Victor, please go ahead with your question. Yes, thank you. So my question is about universities. Like, how come that uh, your citizens are the fourth in the world of most university degrees per capita in the world? Like, what is what is happening there? How come you are so well educated? After so many uh, years of oppression, we got back, uh, we got uh, caught in the biggest scam, which is called university degree, that you must have it in order to work. We have this uh, saying in Bulgaria, which is Uchi mama za da ne rabotish, which means, Oh, uh, my son, go study so you don't have to work when you grow up. And that's saying you don't have to work. Like, what? I thought I'm studying so I can be productive. Why are you saying I won't be, I won't need to work? So the idea is that if you study, you won't need to work, you know, on the field. Uh, by the field, I mean the proper actual farmer's fields and so on. And uh, what happened, though, is uh, after so many people, you know, like getting degrees in all sorts of uh, useless uh, fields, a majority of them are now selling uh, tomatoes and potatoes on the street markets. Nice. Also, my other question is, you you nod your head the other way around as the rest of the world. So how, how come that happened? This is very funny because uh, in Bulgaria, you can do it both ways. You can just nod your head uh, like uh, right, left. You can do it up, down, but you have to always watch the impression of the face uh, because you can say, ah, nah, and do it in the both ways. Or just like, like, oh, yeah, okay. So if you the person doesn't say anything, just watch on his face and his uh, uh, eyes. So, yes, we do it both ways, and it's very confusing. Years ago, I got, like, uh, meet up with one American guy who was in one village, and <laughs> he had the same question. 
is that I'm here from uh, almost a year and I can never understand when somebody is telling me yes or saying me no if he doesn't say it with words. This is the most ridiculous thing he said. So yeah, it's it's a strange thing, but we do it both ways. Okay, so guys, we're on the present time. And uh, what are the key things going on in Bulgaria today? Or what would you like to share? I mean, we can talk about the food, we can talk about uh, beautiful women, we can talk about anything you want. I heard that energy is booming these days. <laughs> we don't have a government for four years now. Bulgaria is one of the few places, probably the only place, where the maternity leave for women is two years. The first year, you get 80% of the amount you get um, of your salary. And the second year is on minimum wage. So basically, you have two years paid maternity leave. This is for all the women uh, that are listening now. Come to Bulgaria. Have kids here, learn here, work here. It's a great place. And, of course, we need people because everyone's escaping to the um, to the West, basically. And after uh, the fall of communism and opening of borders and uh, after we entered the EU, basically a lot of talent has gone out of the door. So, yeah, this is so one of the few things, and probably one of the great benefits that a, a woman, a mother, can have a, a, a great first year in which 80% of her salary is going to be paid while she's looking after her kid. I would say that Bulgaria is an affordable place. So for tourism, it's not like we don't have the Eiffel Tower, we don't have the Statue of Liberty, we don't have the Swiss Alps, we don't have the Maldives beaches and so on. So nothing or almost nothing I would say is like the best in the world. Maybe food is, but maybe I'm biased because I grew up with the, with the Bulgarian food. With the, with the guests in October, they all of them, even though they're from different countries, all of them really, really loved the food. I can quite comfortably say that that's, you know, like that, that's something you, uh, people would definitely enjoy. But talking about affordability, my point is that if you want to go hiking in, in mountains, again, you're not going to get the Swiss Alps, but you're going to get fresh air, nice views, and, uh, you know, with other like-minded people who just want to get off the grid, get off uh, the social media, get off the dopamine rush that we are uh, addicted to every day, get offline and uh, just hike, just like walk around, be one with nature. Beach-wise, beaches-wise, uh, the same thing. We have uh, access to the Black Sea and uh, especially the southern part of it, I would say, is, uh, uh, has some really uh, nice some of them wild, some of them urbanized beaches that uh, you can go and uh, talking about affordability. A night there would be like 50 bucks. Uh, a cuisine there would be uh, like uh, 10 bucks. And when I say bucks, I mean euros or dollars. To me, that's the main thing that I can recommend to foreigners. Visit Bulgaria, not because you're going to have, you know, like you're uh, going to see, uh, you know, something that uh, is worldwide famous. But if you're with the right company as we know you know company is very important for you know like sharing those moments or you're just outgoing person you want to meet people bulgaria is a perfect place to do that and um, i hear that a lot of uh, great uh, engineers in bulgaria i know one guy uh, stefan kanev is the cto of um, receipt bank he's bulgarian 
And I hear that uh, there's a lot of engineering education in Bulgaria, like all the East Bloc. Is that correct? Yes, I would say yes. In Bulgaria, the thing is that country is uh, the IT industry is uh, growing. Being the poorest country in CEO, I stated earlier, the prices of rent, uh, electricity, uh, food, and so on is uh, quite cheap compared to Western Europe on majority of the uh, basket. And being able to work for a company that outsources your labor for Western Europe or uh, United States and so on uh, gives this uh, arbitrage of, uh, you know, of the labor market. So a lot of people are working in IT and it's been a growing industry that has didn't stop growing for the past at least 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20 years. And at the moment, we talked earlier about the amount of people with degrees in Bulgaria compared to, you know, as percentage of the uh, population. The other thing is that even we have the, the how is it called, the IT University? Soft Tony Tillerik. exactly, yeah. So they are like not nation-run, but like private-owned universities that are really targeting hands-on, practice-oriented, no bullshit, no, you know, like uh, unnecessary uh, topics being uh, studied at uh, university approach towards education, that the only goal is to prepare you to for your first job. Once you get in the field, you can just like continue specializing or whatever in uh, however you want. Okay. So some some other quick facts, something that would be um, interesting for people to know. I would really want to move on to Bitcoin. Well, I can say, can, if I can say something, a lot of people, English, Germans, and so on, visitors for the seaside, visitors for the mountains and for the ski uh, we have. So the resorts, okay, they might not be very luxurious, luxurious but uh, people have a lot a lot of a lot of fun and as he already mentioned the prices are compared to european union is uh, just like uh, nothing so the tourism is uh, maybe one of the parts that is uh, one of the things that bulgaria have and if you go if you want to have fun you go to the seaside you go to the ski resorts there's a lot of things you can do Okay, let's go to Bitcoin in Bulgaria. So we have a song to start it off. The song is called Vasco Zabata by Kamchia Orchestra. People of Bitcoin <laughs> the song to be funny. However, as most people do not speak Bulgarian, they have no clue how funny it actually is. I am Vasco the Frog. All the gypsy songs are easy for me to play. It's a quote from the song, apparently. Yeah, let's let's listen to the song first, and then maybe we can get a little bit of an explanation. <laughs> Tarata, Vasco Javata, Tô te siri, drag, e conto-se a musa, Vasco 
Yes. I cannot breathe. I'm sorry. I'm very bad. <laughs> this was actually a very popular song in the Bulgarian TikTok community and around the world. So, yes, it was a very popular TikTok song. This fairly funny uh, video, this expressionless guy just uh, singing in front of this uh, small band in the backyard. Is, is it actually an old thing or is it just made to look old? Yeah, it was old. It's very old. It just found popularity recently with TikTok, as Plan said, as Victor said. Okay. Yeah. I love the song. Okay. So, Bitcoin. Should we uh, start with a little bit of uh, background on uh, Bitcoin early days in, in Bulgaria? Nikoi, can you please tell us, like, from your perspective, in the earlier days, who did you first hear speaking about Bitcoin in Bulgaria um, and uh, let's say uh, throughout your uh, personal work on, on Bitcoin, did you feel like back then you had the same impact as we have today or would you say that it's getting easier and easier? So, as I mentioned in the beginning, my first encounter, I heard about it was in 2013, but uh, practically I dabbled in Bitcoin in uh, late 2015, early 2016. Uh, back then, there were a few people in Bulgaria. Plamen knows them. We're we're friends with them. Actually, Blagovest Belev is one of them. Srebrin Vartrov is uh, another one. But uh, yeah, there were just a few names back then. And uh, it wasn't very, let's say, it was hard to orange peel people or even just talk about it because there was no, let's say, um, stable base in in Bulgaria in uh, in that conversation. Uh, it was it was an interesting journey, at least for me. It uh, it was a lonely journey, to be honest. As I mentioned, I've I've been through a couple of uh, ups and downs in the market, but uh, again, these lessons that I learned and the things that I saw were were just great in in, in general, and I'm I'm uh, I'm very. Um, pleased that I went through all this. Now that you mentioned, it's a bit um, easier. It's a bit more out there. It's a bit more everyone is in it. I mentioned in the beginning also that uh, in 2018, if you if you Google my name in Cyrillic, Nikolai Delchev, and put in 2018, I was on Bloomberg TV Bulgaria on the 22nd of January 2018 talking about Bitcoin back then. And there weren't many people doing that at the time. So five more, a bit more than five years ago. So yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was an interesting journey. There were lots of trials and errors, but now it's a bit more, it's not mainstream, but at least you can find communities to talk about this. And, uh, it's, it's completely, completely different. As I said, I, I, I wrote an ebook about, uh, the rules of basically of trading or exchanging back then. And it was all based on my experience of the, <laughs> basically the, the shit I've done. And, uh, yeah, the, the, everything else was in, is it was in English, was in, in sub forums and so on. There was no, there were no materials in, in Bulgarian basically, except a few. 
were there any companies or any OG Bitcoiners that... I mentioned two of the OG Bitcoiners. Uh, one of them is Blagovest Belev and the other is Srebrin Votrauf. They were really one of the old ones that uh, uh, that were into Bitcoin in the few years before me. So, yeah, there weren't companies, but there were people trying to, let's say, uh, wanting to accept Bitcoin as payment or trying to figure it out and stuff like that. It was a bit, uh, it was not that flexible as it is now. And these people, were they also doing, uh, were they also selling Bitcoin personally or they were just informing you how? how... No, I think it was, uh, they were accumulating and informing people basically what the blockchain is, what it does and so on. Then, as I said, I stumbled upon Andreas Antonopoulos. He opened my eyes. That's uh, There's also a consortium, uh, that, which was... Uh, uh, a non-profit where Andreas and a couple of other guys, uh, even the creator of, Bit- of uh, Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, was on the board. Uh, it's C4. Uh, is the com- it, I think it's uh, Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium, even back then. And I was, at that point, I remember one of the few people in Bulgaria that was uh, Bitcoin professional certified. It was basically a, a trivia on, on Bitcoin, on the blockchain, on the transactions, on everything, a very detailed test. So, they, yeah, there were a few people basically that were that much into it at that point. Uh, Ukas, I know that this is a Bitcoin Maxi uh, Twitter space here, but uh, I feel like we have to make a small exception about one very special shitcoin because it actually started kind of from Bulgaria and I would like for Nikolai to, oh, uh, no, please, uh, you know, like give, <laughs> give, the, give the, his perspective on uh, uh, the influence that the shitcoin pyramid or whatever you call it, OneCoin and uh, her creator, uh, Dr. Ruzha Ignatova, had on the Bulgarian Bitcoin space. Because even though that OneCoin blew up like five years ago or whatever, to this day, to this day, it is a one of the hurdles that you have to go through in order uh, to be able to speak about uh, Bitcoin and for people to be able to, you know, like go through this mental barrier that one coin and Bitcoin are completely different things, even though both of them end on the word coin. Yeah. So, so basically let's, let's start like this. Multi-level marketing is the root of all evil. And before one coin, there was a couple of schemes, multi-level marketing schemes here in Bulgaria and Serbia and so on. Of course, they're targeting people that don't know better and they, they're not, technologically savvy they're not educated and so on and that's why they prosper in in countries with less educated people like in africa or asia india or whatever in bulgaria eastern europe and so on so basically the people moved from one mlm into one coin i was one of the basically the voices that uh, disliked very much these um, kinds of people had some clashes with them even and of course i even uh, created a table which basically says that one coin is not a cryptocurrency because there are specific characteristics that it has to have but of course nobody listened i was ridiculed at some time this was back in the day and um all in all people lost money people lost confidence and people basically labeled crypto and bitcoin as a scam because of the bad experience that they had so you you can't you can't fault i mean the technology about that it's uh 
there will always be some people that try to take the money of other people. And of course, it's in everyone's best interest to know these examples and learn from them and not fall into the same traps again. This lady, uh, can, you, can you share a little bit more about her? Well, I didn't know her personally. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was all an act, basically, saying, oh, we have this. Uh, this does wonders. You can trade it on our platform and so on. She, she basically sold the lie. It, if I have to compare her with someone, it's probably the lady that imitated um, Steve Jobs, the Theranos uh, chick that uh, made her voice deep so that she can uh, sound more influential and uh, a lot of with more authority. Basically, it's uh, it, it's just a person who tricked everybody, and she was very well received in let's say the the high life uh environment here in bulgaria a lot of let's say magazines oh this is the businesswoman of the of the year uh here's this award here's here's that award they were basically kissing her ass all over the place and which of course people are impressionable they see a, a, a stupid magazine which basically people with brains in their head would not read or won't be let's say influenced at all but say oh she won businesswoman of the year award and she's on the on tv and she's uh, in this magazine and in that magazine and people were influenced and said oh she, she must be legit but surprise surprise she wasn't so yeah yeah i think i've seen a picture she's like blonde uh, a little bit, a little bit older, right? Not, not young. Well, I think she's a bit, a little bit dead now because she's been missing for a couple of years, and uh, it, she's either had plastic surgery or she's six feet under. We had here in Vietnam where I'm, at, we had one coin uh, ads all the way to the airport. Apparently, it was a big thing here. <clears throat> apparently, the country that got the worst scammed. Uh, in the whole one coin debacle, a lot of the founders were hanging out here. So maybe it was Bulgaria and, and Vietnam, uh, the uh, East East European state. Uh, uh, but there was a Swedish founder, I recall, of this uh, one coin thing. Um, was was uh, the Swedish founder also hanging out in Bulgaria, or was it just this Bulgarian lady? Um, honestly, I I haven't tracked their mobility. Basically, there were. Founders, the founder of OneCoin, or uh, is like uh, being a VP at a bank. It's like hundreds of them, but she was basically the face of that. So I, I don't know about the rest. Did anyone buy buy OneCoin? You can you can admit it's okay. We will not. <laughs> I completely slept through it uh, when it was uh, raging. When it was all the you know like uh, the most famous coin, uh, not just in Bulgaria, but apparently it, it gained really widespread uh, popularity. At, at the top, it was something like four billion or something. Having in mind shit coins in uh, uh, top uh, in the in the previous uh, bull market in 2021, they got to like tens of billions. You know, five billion maybe it doesn't sound that bad, but it was you know like a lot of people lost a lot of money. I watched this uh, documentary on the topic and. Um, Apparently, you know, like Russia, I, I watched also some of her uh, when she's on stage in front of the, uh, you know, like people who came to a one coin conference or whatever. And what I noticed was that she was like, okay, Bitcoin is cool, but firstly, Bitcoin is old tech. And secondly, Bitcoin doesn't have a uh, CEO, you know, and her 
con- uh, you know, the way she was convincing people, her message was like, imagine Bitcoin, but with a leader. Like, who is Steven Satoshi Nakamoto? No one knows. And I'm here, you know, I'm here. I'm going to do the work for you guys. We're all going to be rich. So uh, Bitcoin, who accepts Bitcoin? No one accepts Bitcoin. But one coin, we're going to go and we're going to sign these deals with all of these hotels. And one coin is going to blow in popularity and in price and in value and so on. Just You have to buy the coin, you have to walk it, and then, you know, I'll do the groundwork and the hard work for you guys to be able to spend it one day. So, and also apparently, uh, so I saw this actually, you know, how she did it on, on uh, stage. And apparently in US, she was playing with the religion stuff. She was like, oh, one coin, actually, you know what? When I think about one coin, when I, uh, you know, when I was making it, I felt like God was talking through me and stuff like that. She, she was a proper professional scammer, liar, and so on. Uh, so she was, to me, like a genius in her own evilness, if I can, you know, like phrase it like that. So she was not dumb. She was extremely clever. Uh, and I feel my personal theory is that when she started it, she wanted to make some money. She did not even dream of it getting as big as it was. And she continued just to like go with the flow, like react on what's happening, react on the money inflowing because once you start getting so much money that doesn't need to go for mining because when you buy Bitcoin, you know, like a lot of these uh, market sales ca- are coming from uh, uh, miners that they need to, you know, pay their electricity and so on. And one coin not having these expenses, a lot of money was uh, uh, kept by them, by the team. So they started having issues like, wait, where do you keep the money? Like they started having issues with the banks, they started having issues with uh, too much cash on hand and so on. So there is actually some crazy stories on the internet about that. I uh, advise people if uh, they're curious, uh, you know, like to Google a bit more about OneCoin Russia, there is, uh, again, documentary uh, uh, audiobooks on the topic. Can you connect us with her? <laughs> <laughs> I told I you she, that she's missing and she's probably yeah. dead for a couple yeah. of years now. But she's on the uh, top 50, 100, what is it most wanted? Looked after people from uh, uh, FBI in um, in the United States. So she's either dead or she completely changed her identity and uh, after a bunch of operations and buying fake passport. But Plamen, it sounded like Zdravko knows her. No. <laughs> well, I know that the FBI is offering about 150K for any information of her. So if I knew her... Obviously, I would cash in on that info, but uh, nobody knows it. And I think they didn't exactly sell cryptocurrency. They were selling some packages or something like that. And they were mainly aimed at uh, older people. That's as far as I know about it. It it was not exactly crypto. It was some sort of packages that included mining or some sort of that. Like there were silver, platinum, diamond, gold sort of packages. They cost a different amount of money. That's as far as I know about. Interesting. Victor? Yeah, I just wanted to add uh, to what Palman said and shared about Rouge and the creator that actually I feel pretty much more comfortable with that, that I'm not sure which person or organization is behind Bitcoin as I don't care, even if it's a government. The one thing I care is what are the rules of the game and is those rules are being changed for those years. And here's the thing. If somebody wants to change something, uh, it should have the consensus of the miners, the full nodes, the businesses, us, and the clients, etc. And 
if you know the person that is behind something, then you could start uh, pulling things about his past and etc. And uh, you could uh, make look the system bad for the mistakes that the person have made in the in the past. Let's say. And here is the thing: in the Bulgarian, we have this um, uh, now a consensus and this uh, question: Do we want to accept the euro, and when should we accept it? And if the people see we have the Bulgarian left, which is uh, after the inflation, a pretty early currency in the way we are seeing it currently. But also the euro is only how uh, how about twenty uh, four years old, and it's been used. Uh, I believe for 21 years, uh, like uh, freely, as the first three years of the euro history, it was used just to be uh, as an internal payment system between the countries. So you see that the euro and the Bitcoin have only 10 years of difference in the age, but you see what a central organ such as the euro and the central bank of uh, Europe is doing and how they are not following their promises to the society. And from another hand, you see that Bitcoin that we don't even know who stands or who has created it probably was an organization as the way that Bitcoin operates. It's um, geniusly thinked of and uh, it's being released the similar, similar way as the euro has been as you see, uh, the first, the Genesis block and the first transaction for the system to uh, start operating. And here is the consensus in front of us. What do we want to choose in Bulgaria? Should it be the, the another fiat currency that will make another false promises to us? Or we would choose an, a currency that is only with 13, 14 full years of history, but kept all of its promises and it kept work as a protocol from 2013 till now uh, without any kind of a downtime and etc. Uh, for the people that work in the IT industry, they know after each update, after so, each emergency release and etc. how much of a downtime they have. Market has voted, no? It's one coin according to the Bulgarian elites. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> And I really liked your transition, by the way, uh, how you moved from one coin into uh, the euro. Uh, I think that was a beautiful <laughs> analogy of uh, what's going on. It's, it's a it was on purpose. That's a convicted, that's running this scheme, uh, the European Central Bank. Uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, transition, Victor. I love that. Um, so, guys, uh, let's move into Bitcoin present time. We're there. And we have yeah. another song. It's Vidimo uh, Dovolni by Crisco and Maria Ilieva. <laughs> I'm 
So uh, I just must describe what's on this video. There's uh, there's a guy and a girl in a airplane hangar, um, and uh, then there's a girl in front of a red car with like an arm sticking out of the trunk. Um, I don't understand the words, but uh, it seems to be a crime scene of some sort. This whole song is a crime scene. Crime scene of one <laughs> really lost generation. I d personally dislike this type of music. This is my personal opinion. Well, because I'm not, I'm not that generation. You asked me before to play the song if I'm part of that generation. No, it, it, it's the next one. I'm supposed to be already, you know, with the wife, the kids, the house, and so on. Talking about the 20s, the ones that are 20 years old now. Okay. There was a lot of fights I heard before this space, which music should be chosen. And I guess this was uh, one of the hot topic uh, songs, maybe. Let's talk about you guys and uh, what you guys are doing in Bulgaria. Yeah, I know you want to talk about the women in Bulgaria, Lukas, but again, Ruja is dead, so you could probably let that go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you want to no. go party in Bulgaria, we'll, we'll hook you up with the right people. Great. You said that you were accepting Bitcoin in your business, Nikolai. Uh, could you talk a little bit about <clears throat> what you're doing in Bitcoin? At this point, I have clients and business clients, which I'm I'm, I'm, I'm really opening uh, them up to, to the idea of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, uh, providing basically educational services on, let's say, high net worth people who would like to understand more, but are a bit afraid from... Um, let's say all the all the all the noise about it, and would like uh, things to be explained to them in a in a in a nice manner, you know, in a way that basically and through a person basically who they trust, uh, of course, with regards to business, and would explain to them what it is, how it is, without trying to shield them something or. Uh, get money from them or whatever. I mean, it's it's one of the things that I do, and um, I I don't let's say I op I I tell them about this, and if if they uh, open up and say yeah sure explain to me this or that, great. But I I'm not the person that would that would shove uh, things down people's throats because I believe that any change and any new information 90% of of it should come from the drive of the person himself because you cannot you can you can lead the horse to the water but you cannot make uh, make it drink so this is what i do on on one side and on the other side of course as i mentioned if if they want to test out what they've learned and of course uh, uh, send out payments in bitcoin i can i can i can assist with that so how does it work? They they contract you in some way for you to teach them? Like what's Yeah, the it's basically it's a consulting fee uh in terms of on a, on an hourly rate, uh, basically consulting them on on different business topics on 
case studies or whatever they they have on that and of course we spend some time on on the topic of of bitcoin and blockchain and you have a program or you you do like yeah i've developed my own yeah yeah i used to do it for free basically in the beginning even it was a two three hour let's say webinar in which i go into details basically from history from transactions explaining what it is how it is I mean, wallets, uh, exchanges, and everything like that. So, yeah, I've I've got it, and I'm I'm reusing it and rehashing it, of course, updating it, uh, so that uh, again, people that are not tech savvy, a few maybe even older people, high net worth people who would like to understand more, would uh, would do so after uh, going through uh, the educational part of of, of the consulting. So I'm curious, your position as chairman of this investment company, publicly traded, and uh, it's completely different. It's not Bitcoin related, though. But does it help you to get in contact with people? I mean, everything helps me get in contact in, with people, even this uh, this Twitter space. <laughs> I'm a very open guy, and uh, I I'm a very let's say open to to networking guy. I'm, I have to be honest, uh, my LinkedIn currently is a lot more active than my Facebook or Twitter. I have 10,000 people on LinkedIn, but I have just a few on Facebook and just, let's say, a couple of, let's say, 10, 10 or 20 people on Twitter. So my focus is really on the, the business and networking side. And yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm doing my part in this. Nikolai, could you expand on this? I'm really curious on the LinkedIn, how you're using it, if you're using it at all for Bitcoin-related uh, things, because this is not something that's often talked about. Well, LinkedIn is is a, is a fun place. I've had LinkedIn before I had Facebook, honestly. Uh, again, I, I've grown my network with for years, and I have around 10,000 now followers there. Um, it's 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 related not only to Bitcoin but with everything else. I've had multiple people reach out to me. It's it's interesting to to study the trends. When uh, the the market was booming, I received a lot of uh, emails and messages, basically telling me, "Oh, you should invest in this. Oh, you should invest in that." And I was just laughing. I mean, because people weren't doing doing their due diligence to know who I am, what I know, and how I do it, basically, which is still continuing to this day. There is a difference uh, of in approach, and with with everything that people want to shill you or sell you or scam you, basically, they're pretty straightforward with it, and they're not going into establishing long term relationships, which is completely different to what I'm doing. I would like to understand more on on the people what 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 they do how they do it and develop these types of uh, relationships on the long term you can't uh, succeed basically if you just go ahead and say oh you can you should buy this or you should buy that uh, linkedin is is again a, a, a very nice place where you could do that but it, it takes a lot of time and again my my motto or my modus operandi is basically to leave things as they are and just let people contact me on the the right time for them or for me even uh, and uh, go with uh, things from there. I mean, I honestly haven't uh, advertised, haven't shilled, haven't done anything like that, just mentioned a couple of times. And people's interest basically peaks at some point. And then if, if they want to go deeper into that, 
I'm all about it. But I'm not as vocal, let's say, as Plumman is, which is commendable from his side, uh, on um, basically educating the Bulgarian population and being the the voice, let's say, of uh, the, the preaching voice of uh, Bitcoin uh, in, in Bulgaria. I'm, I'm more of a, let's say, on laying, laying back and being in the in the background. So, um, the how many people would you estimate that you have orange pilled via LinkedIn? Via LinkedIn, probably more than fifty, but outside of LinkedIn or in general, more. <laughs> okay, that's really impressive. I I wouldn't say that I've orange pilled. And I'm talking about orange pilled. No, oh, that's an interesting concept. I'm talking about people really buying. And not buying, I mean, small amounts. Okay. Thank you very much for sharing. I've been thinking if I should use my LinkedIn for some orange pilling work, but currently I'm I'm keeping it incognito. Um, okay. Thanks, Nikolai. I'd like to ask Strevenko. Sorry, I always uh, mispronounce it. Don't worry about it. Zdrevko, what are you uh, doing currently? Well, I consider myself not that knowledgeable in Bitcoin on a level such as Plamen or Nikolai, but I do my part by, uh, first and foremost, my father has a company, uh, a construction company, and I'm trying to get him and their company to use Bitcoin. Because in uh, 2016, they did some job on some hotel, and they were uh, asked if they would like to be paid in Bitcoin, and it was a huge sum, something like 5,000 Bitcoins or something like that. Uh, and they declined because, you know, back in the day, I was 15, Bitcoin was not that known in Bulgaria. And uh, if they had taken that offer, obviously they maybe wouldn't even be working right now, but because they didn't, I'm trying to teach them the fundamentals of Bitcoin. And the best way to do it is with Plamen's videos because they show, uh, they explain it in an easy way, in a simple Bulgarian language for the everyday Joe to understand. Because uh, if you want to find information on Bitcoin in Bulgaria, you type it on Google, you always get sent to those news sites. And, you know, the mainstream media is not that um, keen on Bitcoin. The only time when they talk about it is in the context with OneCoin, Ruzek Natova, how it's a scam, how it should be avoided, or when the price has fallen or when it has risen. So... The only thing people see is they see the price. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show them the fundamental, the history, and how it can improve their future. Uh, a lot of my friends know me as uh, that I'm in crypto because I always share stuff on my Facebook, on my profiles in Discord. And whenever I meet friends in real life, they're always like, oh, I see that you're into crypto. I want to make some money. And I'm like, I won't teach you how to make money, but I will teach you how to understand Bitcoin and I can uh guide you in that in the right direction for you to understand it and make your own opinion on it because i don't want to give any financial advice because that's not why why we're in bitcoin i'm in it for the fundamentals and for the future and i want to teach people that and with i'm doing my best part about it i'm wearing every time i go out i'm wearing my bitcoin t-shirt in, in public and i've had people ask me when I'm in the cinema purchasing tickets, they're like, oh, that's a Bitcoin t-shirt. I watched it on the news. People say it's fallen. Did you lose money? I see you're wearing a t-shirt. I'm like, no, I didn't lose money because I'm not looking 
for one year in the future, I'm looking for 20 or 30 years. I'm looking when everybody will be using it and I will be successful because I've adopted it early. And um, it it gives a nice seat for a good conversation in the future with people. And you you meet all, all sorts of people with that. And it's a nice conversation starter, especially the t-shirts, all thanks to Plamen. So I'm doing my part, albeit small, not on a big scale as Plamen, but I'm still doing it. Yeah, I had a guy on a motorbike pass me here in Saigon the other day, and he's like, Bitcoin, me also Bitcoiner. And then he continued off. But as a conversation starter, it's amazing. Uh, do, where do you buy these shirts? Is it a Plamen store or is it someone else? Uh, Plamen has a, 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 an online store with all kinds of designs where you can buy, buy T-shirts. And they're always in his uh, link on his YouTube channel. Okay. Could you explain a little bit about the the dynamics of the construction business? Why you thought of uh, Bitcoin for the construction business? Because as you know, in my opinion, um, in our situation, they we do work with construction equipment. If my father keeps his money in the bank, all the, all the money they've earned, their money gets devalued every every year with inflation. So if they could afford, let's say, 10 excavators during 2010, now then you can only afford three, which is, you know, it's a scary thought to have. You're investing in your business, working for 10 years, you're gaining money, but your money is, is losing value. And some people would say, yeah, well, Bitcoin is losing value as well. It's not about that. It's about you getting safe from the inflation. And uh, I'm trying to teach them about that. The dynamics is it's a business with a lot of investment and a lot of time. And if you you wouldn't be happy if you spend a thousand hours per year working to earn a certain amount of money, only for that money to lose immediately 10% the next year of its value due to some decisions that are out of your control. I understand. It's the uh, store of value. Okay. Thank you, Zdrevko. Um, I'd like to hear from Mr. Plamen about his uh, his different uh, endeavors in Bitcoin. Is that your T-shirt that you have on you, Plavin, in the picture? Is that one of the T-shirts that you're selling? Yes, yes, it's actually one of my favorite ones. It's a simple design, but uh, extremely effective. So at the moment I'm in Florida, United States, in the town that I'm in, in the area that I've been around for the past two months, only one person at the state fair in Tampa, in the capital of Florida, told me, oh, is that Bitcoin? Only one person. And then the other weekend, I went to uh, Miami and I had in two days, three encounters with different people who said, uh, you know, oh, hey, Bitcoin, something like this. Anyway, so um, we are selling these T-shirts at the uh, merchandise website. We have uh, various different uh, designs. Obviously, we're selling now designs of different tiers, like uh, large tiers, small tiers red percents, like 70%, 80% and stuff like that, joking you because it's the bear market, a lot of bears and stuff like that. But yeah, so the, the, actually this has a story, the merchandise website. I started it because I wanted to buy a Bitcoin t-shirt and there wasn't one. Like if you Googled two years ago, uh, three years ago now, Bitcoin uh, t-shirts in Bulgarian language and buy now or whatever, nothing, nothing pops up. There wasn't a single store that sells them. And uh, I see in the listeners, uh, there is the Twitter account called BG Crypto Network. 
So he is also a uh, Bulgarian uh, a YouTuber who creates a lot of content on the topic of uh, Bitcoin. He had a very cool Bitcoin t-shirt, a really cool design. One of the t-shirts he has, is, it says, you know, the I told you so. I was like, where did you buy it? And he was like, from United Kingdom. I'm like, geez, you know, I don't want to order from United Kingdom, from Amazon Co. UK or whatever, or uh, because at the time I was still uh, traveling uh, semi-actively to UK every few months. I didn't want to wait, you know, a few months to go there. So this is why I started the, the merchandise website. I wanted to have a place that can uh, po- uh, popularize. And I can say, like, if you're a Bitcoiner, if you want to buy a Bitcoin t-shirt, just go to this website and you purchase one and it's going to be at your door in two days. Could you share with us a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of volume? Of course, you don't have to share the exact amount of pieces you're selling and so on. But uh, like, what's the trend? Are you seeing a lot of uptick in people buying? Did it dip now in the bear market? Uh, what, how does it follow the market trend? I'm going to tell you like uh, semi-exact data because I'm literally just opening my uh, email. So apparently yesterday... We sold two t-shirts. On Thursday, we sold two other t-shirts. Then we haven't sold a t-shirt for like 10 days. On 2nd of um, March, we sold a t-shirt. On 3rd of March, we sold a t-shirt. So as you can see at the moment, it's like one to up to three t-shirts a week. So it's not big volume. It's not a money-making machine. To be honest, it's actually losing me money because, you know, like I, I don't want to deal with the orders. So I have to pay someone else. Also, uh, you know, you still have to pay for accountancy of a company. You still have to, uh, you know, like I'm paying the uh, suppliers and for the every single order when someone makes, uh, let's say if he orders five T-shirts at the same time, I make money on it. Because, you know, like I have some margin and some of the expenses are, let's say, taxes that are a percent of the sale, but some of them are a flat rate. And this flat rate, if you if someone purchases from me one T-shirt, actually I lose money on, on it because I have to pay this guy and that guy and that guy, you know, everyone on the uh, chain in order to, for this order to be fulfilled. So yeah, the sales are extremely down. At the peak, we were selling like, I don't know, let's say 10 T-shirts a week. So that's it. It's nothing impressive. It's not a money-making machine. It's not, again, I started the, the, the website because I saw it as I'm creating value for the world because people can now actually get something that they want because I wanted it and no one else was able to provide. It was never the idea, you know, that this is going to make money or whatever. And now I look at it as my baby. Even though I'm losing money on it, I'm okay with it. I'm just going to pay for it because it's a better world if this exists than if it dies out. I just wanted to add from 2001, we, me and my wife started um, this little business for uh, crypto painting and we collaborated with Plumen. So if you have seen his uh, painting on the podcast, it's made by my wife. Also, Nikolai's partner have one of the paintings. The main idea of this um, wasn't the actually the profit that could be made, but exactly as Plumen said, that there was a need for some quality paintings to be given to the community and actually to make value for, to the people that they own. And if, for example, we uh, invested the money when we start this, I won't call it business as isn't producing that much of a money, but it's bringing value to the community. And if we have invested the money, we would have much more profit. But at the moment, we built uh, great connections to the community and we bring a lot of value to the people. So even the picture that I have on my profile, it's uh, having the signature of Jeff Booth, Greg Falls, Plum and Nikwai, 
and etc. Many of other people's which uh, take part of it, and we created another value. So whenever there is opportunity in front of the people for uh, creating a value for the community, I would highly advise to do so, and also the community to help those as this is spreading the adoption one one way or another. Whenever a person sees an opportunity and a need for something, they should act. This is my mindset, and this is the reason why we started this as um, our thing. Sounds like you started it before the bull market. So you you were investing money, and then you could have mm-hmm. the bull market, right? To be uh, absolutely honest, uh, the first paintings that I asked my wife, uh, my current wife, to make were actually for a gift that I wanted to give to my friends. And I told her that I would pay her in crypto just for her to build them and for me to give it as a gift to my friends. And after they liked it, we just said that we should uh, make it more for the community and etc. Yes, the main motivation behind it was just to create something cool, something that the community could appreciate. And if you see on the first conference on uh, the Plumman Twitter or YouTube, you will see that there were two paintings that we made specially for the conference and the thematic of them was the crypto revolution. And it's nice to also have uh, artwork of what we're doing and to be remembered as those ones are really special. Yeah, I think this is definitely an underappreciated part of uh, Bitcoin culture creators around it, the people creating these objects that symbolize different parts of the culture. I think it's uh, really important and maybe not actually paid enough, both paid enough attention, but actually with cash as well. I think the prices maybe are a little bit too low. As as Plamen mentioned, that maybe for him it's not profitable. And as you mentioned, Victor, that, yeah, it could have been more profitable just to invest. I think uh, as Bitcoiners, it would be great if we could increase our willingness to pay for some of these objects, because I think they're also important for the uh, building the culture. Anyways, Plamen uh, or Victor, do you want to add anything? I wanted to talk to Plamen about the conference, but Victor, maybe you wanted to add. On the first conference, we gathered almost 500 people, and it was one of the biggest conferences that it was made in Bulgaria. So much thanks to Plamen. Even if uh, he's not one of the early adopters of Bitcoin in Bulgaria, he was one of the people that was spreading the Bitcoin knowledge and was educating the people like in no time. So the results that he was able to reach, I could just say uh, one big uh, bravo for it as not many people not me for sure could uh, do something like that for me it was uh, just uh, about supporting him as i see that he could do things that i could not and the way we supported uh, as Drafko said and me and my wife and many other people was uh, just by helping with the organization helping if financially if it was needed with the paintings with the making of the designs and etc as yeah, uh, my wife helped with uh, the beautiful part of the conference. The whole organization bringing uh, people and connecting them was uh, part of what Plamens did. And the first conference was awesome. It was something that the people really enjoyed. 
the thing that I liked on the second conference was that it was more in a bear market. So the prices were lower and the people that came there were most of them were Bitcoin maxis or at least believers in the crypto community. Nice. Yeah. Like the adopting Bitcoin conference, there was basically only Bitcoin maxis there. It was really awesome. It was the first Bitcoin conference I personally went to and uh, I didn't have a bad experience at all. Clement, when did you come up with the idea to do the conference or was it somebody else? Um, so the idea came to be because firstly, I wanted to make, you know, like in-person meetups. And uh, when I started doing them, when the audience already grew too much and it was during COVID. So COVID hit and the lockdowns hit, uh, started uh, 2020 and then 2021 in Bulgaria, we st still had these restrictions. Like, let's say, not more than six people on the table, or uh, let's say we have to wear a mask uh, inside and so on. And uh, when you started doing these uh, meetups, the issue with the meetups was that, uh, let's say, 50, 60, 70 people want to come. And at the same time, though, uh, you know, like, firstly, you're a lot of people. And secondly, it's... Uh, um, it's hard for me to, you know, like be able to speak with everybody when I wanted to. And I had to like, you know, like jump from table to table in the restaurant or something like that in order to be able to communicate with everybody. So it was a hurdle, but it was at the same time something that I, I felt like we should be doing uh, that. Uh, Victor earlier mentioned that at the moment he's in charge of the uh, meetups in uh, in Varna, in the city of Varna. These are different cities across uh, uh, Bulgaria. I was mostly active in Sofia, but also traveling, you know, across the country to Burgas, Varna, Poznan to do meetups there. So, and at the end, I stopped doing them because I remember one person very vividly. So it's supposed to be a two-hour meetup, but it's a third hour already, and he comes to me and he like gives me his hand and he handshakes it and he's like. Listen, I'm really sorry. I wanted to, you know, like meet up with you, but uh, you haven't came to my table yet. I'm coming from 200 kilometers away and I need to, you know, like go. I have to go because I have to, uh, tomorrow I'm at work and I have to leave the, leave the meetup now so I can come back home uh, tonight to, you know, to my wife and kids. And I was like, okay, like shit, like, you know, like uh, this guy came all the way. He didn't want to disturb me early. He didn't want to, you know, like intervene. He didn't want to like get uh, uh, in the line. And uh, at the end, he just shook my hand and he had to uh, go back. Obviously, of course, you know, he, like he, he had a great time. He was talking with a bunch of other Bitcoiners anyway. But I felt like uh, that's shit. Like it doesn't work like that. I, I, I have to think something else. And this is how the idea of the conference uh, came to be. So we started looking for a venue. How much do they cost? The, the cost was two, uh, two and a half thousand uh, euros for the venue for one day. Then, uh, you know, I was like, okay, guys, if you want to do this, we have to gather from 100 people 25 euro. Like, if we can do that, we're going to secure the funds to rent the place. And uh, pretty much people send me money, 25 euros each, 100 people. So we had the funding. And then... Uh, we had some extra expenses. Like the guy was like, okay, what about catering? Like you're going to be here the whole day. Are you going to eat something? And then I realized that the catering actually costs more than the rent of this venue. Like it costs 5,000 uh, euros uh, for the food. And then, uh, you know, like things grow out of proportions because, you know, unexpected additional cost that came to be because, you know, this is the first time you do something like this. You're not like an event manager or anything like that. And you just, you don't know what you're doing, right? You're, you're learning as you go. So yeah, additional expenses and so on. And then at the end, the venue turned out that uh, they messed up the dates. 
Actually, Zdravko here was, uh, he was one of the people who was like, yeah, absolutely, for free, I'm going to help so we can make this uh, project happen. We can make like a big bag, a gathering, a conference in Bulgaria on the topic of uh, Bitcoin. And uh, he, he messaged them with the correct date. But apparently, they put down the incorrect date on their notes. And we already like announced the conference, sold all 300 tickets. And we are like, okay, we are ready. And I go sign the, the, the contract and the contract is with incorrect date. And I'm like, that's not the right date though. You know that, right? It's like, no, 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 this is the correct date. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not the date we have. So on our date, they had like a musical event that was planned six months earlier. So they cannot cancel it. So we had to either move the date, either move the, the weekend or change the venue. And I was like, shit, okay, we already have 300 people that are like, yeah, I'm going to pay, you know, like 25 euros to come and we want to, you know, like make this happen. And I was like, okay, let's uh, go bigger. Let's see. I mean, that there is definitely more people that want to come, but let's see what are the expenses with the other uh, venues and the other venues, the ones that are, can cost over 300 people, like the prices just skyrocketed. They were like from uh, two and a half thousand euro for the rent. They jumped to seven and a half thousand, to ten thousand, to fifteen thousand euro, just for the venue. Like no catering, no additional stuff, just the the absolute base model cost, you know, like the absolute minimum. But yeah, so it was a big hurdle because we had like we already took the money. I could return the money and just cancel everything, but that would be shit. So I had to, you know, like jack up the prices of the tickets in order to be able to fill in the financial gap between what money we have, what is the budget right now. And how our expenses are just exploded because of uh, reasons. Because also the catering for that first venue was much cheaper than for any other. This, this is why we went with it. Because it was the most reasonable, the best value to uh, for your bank for your buck. But the limit was 300 people. Like 300 is good enough. Like it's way more than we ever gathered before that. But sadly we had to, because they messed up the, the date, we had to change the venue. And uh, so this is how the, the idea came to be. The idea was just like, you know, we want to gather the community. A lot of Bitcoiners are people, as we know, again, I'm not going to dive too much, but a lot of Bitcoiners are alone. Their family don't get it. Their friends don't get it. Their colleagues at work don't get it. Over time, it's getting easier, but it's still there's a lot of lonely Bitcoiners and they want these meetups. They want to, to meet up with people that are not, they don't know from high school, from kindergarten, from their neighborhood or whatever, but they find each other in a different way and they share, share these beliefs and so on. So it's, you know, it's psychologically very well for Bitcoiners to be able to meet up with the other Bitcoiners. So um, this is how the idea came to be. So the first event was huge success. We had about 10 speakers. All of them were uh, already known on the Bulgarian uh, scenery as uh, Bitcoiners or uh, financial guys. Each one of us presented his own uh, lecture. And uh, it was just huge success. Everyone was extremely happy. The only issue we had with the catering because apparently the food was not enough, but, you know, I'm not going to dive into that uh, topic. But, uh, yeah, huge success. And then I was like, okay, that's it. Like, how how do you make a second one? You're like, you already, you know, like, invited the people you wanted to be the lecturers. You already get, had this amazing large gathering where everyone had a blast and so happy to see so many people and, you know, with the whole just atmosphere and so on. So how do you make a second one? And uh, I asked Greg Foss, would you come to Bulgaria if I invite you for a conference? Pretty please. 
And she said, yeah, maybe I'll think about it. And uh, then I messaged, uh, emailed him and uh, Jeff Booth. So first I messaged uh, Greg Foss on Twitter. He responded. He came for a podcast. He liked me. Then he connected me with Jeff Booth. Then Jeff Booth can, uh, came for a podcast. And then I emailed both of them. I was like, okay, listen, guys, I really want to do this uh, Bitcoin conference in Bulgaria. And I would really love it if you can be like the cherry on the cake, you know, like the, the glazing, just the best part at the very end is going to be in English. Everything else is going to be in Bulgarian. And the idea is that, you know, for your travel, because you're going to come all the way from Canada, across the ocean, across the uh, whole Western Europe, all the way to Eastern Europe, to the eastern part of Eastern Europe, to Bulgaria, uh, I'm going to cover all your expenses once you land in Sofia, Bulgaria. So I'm going to come personally pick you up from the airport. I'm going to drive you to the uh, hotel. I'm going to pay for your hotel. You're going to come to the uh, event. Everything's free. Then after the event, I'm even going to do this road trip for five days with you guys where we're going to just like, you know, go across Bulgaria, everything included and so on and so on and so on. Well, they were like, fuck yeah, that sounds like an amazing deal. Okay, let's do it. And then, of course, in my head, You know, it was like, okay, two people, so I have to pay for two hotel rooms. I have to pay for this, for this, for this. Uh, can I put it, squeeze it in, in the budget of if I sell the tickets at price X? And I was like, yeah, okay, budgeting looks good. We'll have enough money for the venue, for the catering, for this time, because again, for the first conference, a lot of people, and in general, for the community, a lot of people are doing favors. Meaning, photographers didn't ask for a single sat for their service on the first uh, conference uh, there is this like a magical mirror that you stand in front and you take a picture in the mirror and actually prints it immediately for you in physical format uh, these people they didn't want a single cent the, the, the ticketing company that helps sells the the ticket did so much extra work and because they like me and they like the idea and so on they supported us and they didn't want any extra cost they didn't add for all the additional services that are not included by default in order for us to be able to, you know, like make the whole event. You know, like a lot of people did a lot of favors. Again, with Victor, his talented wife, Pamela, she is a artist, she paints, but also she is a, a designer. So she designed the stages background and just like, you know, the budgets and so on. So all of this absolutely uh, free of charge. And, and we had the idea that whoever comes to the conference will be able to get access to our Discord for life, like forever to be able to, you know, like uh, uh, participate in so on because he's an OG in our eyes in the future. He'll be able to participate in the Discord that usually it's public. Everyone can read, but not everyone can write. Otherwise, there's too much spam, too much scam, too much haters and so on. So all of this free of charge. And for the second conference, I was like, no, I'm not going to take any favors. If I have to pay out of my pocket, but uh, everyone's going to get paid. And I started budgeting and I was like, okay, maybe we'll be in the red a little bit, but not that much, uh, but everything should be covered. And then though the idea was again, Greg Foss and Jeff Wood are the icing of the cake. They are the best part of the conference. It will be in English, obviously, because they don't speak Bulgarian. It will be at the end of the conference. Everything else is going to be in Bulgarian language. But then Greg Foss and Jeff Wood being the good guys that they are, they are like, yo, do you know this guy? And I'm like, yeah, I know him. And they're like, do you want us to connect him with him? And maybe he'll join the conference. I'm like, fuck yeah, I want. Let's do it. So I connected with uh, uh, Knut Sanholm. Then I connected with Natalie Bruneo. Then I connected with Nick Huge. Then with Amy Carr. Then with this. Then with that. And all of them were like, yeah, I'll come. Yeah, I'll come. There is this company, Ibex Mercado. They are infrastructure builders for Lightning Network. So they had a representative, Jeremy, uh, who came from Germany to Bulgaria uh, uh, to talk about the Lightning Network. So my point is that so many 
people, additional people joined that at the end I was like, okay, it almost doesn't make sense anymore because we had at the end, I think it was nine foreign speakers. Like it doesn't make sense to be a Bulgarian language conference. Like it must be English language conference. So at the end, uh, uh, Nikolai here, Serbian Vatrauf mentioned earlier, David Bonev and Georgi Manov joined as Bulgarian representatives, but the whole conference was only in English language. The expenses ballooned out of proportion because all of a sudden I was not paying for two hotel rooms for two people. For five days, I had to pay, you know, like, you know, people bring their wives, they bring their kids, they bring their other house, they bring their team, and they're now nine people, and I have to pay for like 15 rooms or whatever it was, and so on. And I was like, Jesus, like, I'm sorry, but Bitcoin is like $30,000 right now. It's not a good time to sell. So I had to sell at 15000 joking, obviously. But uh, yeah, expenses won't out of proportion. But, and at the end, yes, the conference was heavily at a loss, heavily. But we, uh, even though we had two sponsors, Bonix being the main uh, sponsor and uh, Nexo, uh, the company being the, the second sponsor, but we, we outdid ourselves, meaning the second uh, uh, conference in Bulgaria, again, with the same attendance of 500 people, it was when Bitcoin was... $30,000 at the time. I think it was October, October last year, uh, just before the, you know, the Terra Una collapse, just before the Celsius collapse, just before the FTX and so on. So, uh, but the people still, though, the people that came to that conference were people who are not high on hopium, are not high on, uh, you know, like Bitcoin is going to the moon, I bought it at 25,000, now it's 50,000, I'm going to be rich when it's 100,000 and so on. There were people who are actually proper Bitcoiners, they want to see these celebrities, uh, international names that uh, they are coming for the first and most probably last time to Bulgaria. The next time you want to see uh, Jeff Booth or Greg Foss or Natalie Brunel, you have to go to one of the larger European conferences or to the States one. So that's pretty much the story of the Bulgarian Bitcoin conference and how it came to happen. It happened with a lot of support from the community who financially supported it, buying the tickets, paying with their money, with their earned money, with a lot of work from me and the team who, you know, like there is so much work that we had to do in order to not hire an event planning company because they want, let's say, another five to 10,000 euros to manage it for you. And you just don't have the budget. If we'll be able to afford that, we must hijack the, the prices of the tickets much higher that it's just undoable at that, uh, that moment. So for so much work, devotion, so much little tasks that we have to do instead of uh, hiring someone else to do it for us from, let's say, uh, even in order to cut corners, we are buying our own water instead of relying on the uh, catering company to, to buy the water. And I'm mentioning this detail because it's important. The idea is like when you're financially not stable and you don't have enough finance to finance it, you have to do extra work in order to do it. So instead of buying for one euro, let's say a bottle of water, we had to go, uh, let's say to, a, you know, like one of these wholesales, buy it at 50 cents in our own car, then drive it to the place and so on. But be able actually to make this event that everyone that came again was extremely happy that this, we were able to achieve it. We had a live stream, we had professional uh, translators uh, simultaneous translators that were translating everything uh, for the stream uh, in, uh, in Bulgarian language. So we did these two streams at the same time, one in English with the English audio and one with uh, dubbed with uh, simultaneous uh, translation in uh, Bulgarian. And also the people in the venue who, uh, you know, like everyone speaks English, but some, you know, like their English is not that good. They use the headphones uh, with Bluetooth to be able again to get the instant translation. And uh, so everyone, regardless if you speak English language or no, if you're a Bitcoiner, you're more than welcome to come.
awesomeness. That was a rant that could be cut out and made into a little uh, fast track course into how to make a a proper uh, Bitcoin conference from scratch and then evolve it into a second second edition of the same conference. I think I just would like to pause for a second and uh, just highlight this, what you just shared with us, because I think you really distilled some of this experience that you got from creating conference that other people could use to make Bitcoin conferences in their own countries, in their own communities. One thing that I think was really essential that you said was how people are willing to just try to help out uh, when you're doing it for the first time that people maybe don't think about how willing people are to just put in the extra mile to give you some uh, rebates and so on, just so that you can make it work. You saw a cascading effect as well. So once you started actually making it, you, you found some some key speakers, then more speakers wanted to join in and more speakers wanted to join in. And once some, some people were helping out, more people wanted to help out. So I think that it's something that a lot of people don't uh, realize uh, before they start that once they've started the ball rolling, it's actually not as hard as it looks from the start because people just start helping out from all over. And it can be really surprising who wants to chime in and help out. Uh, I did an event in Hong Kong. I wanted to uh, bring the tech community together. And I had this idea that I wanted to do it in a really great venue. And I wanted to make it like a monthly meetup for the tech community there. And I ended up getting the most expensive real estate in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange with the listing floor with like a room for 300 people for free. I met the head of innovation and uh, I started pitching the idea. And after 15 seconds, he was like, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. And then I didn't know what to talk about for the rest of the meeting because it was already done. So it can be surprising what people are willing to do and help out with. End of my little add-on rant to what you were talking about, Plamen. Really uh, impressive and uh, inspiring uh, to hear that story. Martin, I think we should also hear a little bit from you, what you're doing, what you've been doing with uh, Bitcoin in in Bulgaria. Would you like to share a little bit with us? Well, after everything that Plamen said, it's a little bit hard for me because even that uh, we are not close, I know him as a, <laughs> my YouTube guru, and I've been on the both of the conferences he organized with DraftCon and uh, so on. And for me now, it's like all these memories coming back, still not so long ago, but it was amazing. Uh, I believe that it's hard for the most people to to understand the magnitude of uh, what he is doing and what he m- was able to do it, especially with the second conference, uh, because we are a small country, we are close-minded, and so on, and so on. And uh, anyway, I'm working in a field that has nothing to do with easy understanding of Bitcoin. I'm an uh, I'm an uh, interior designer. Uh, this is what I do for even before Bitcoin was run by Satoshi. 
since uh, as also Drav- uh, Dravko said, it's hard to compare yourself with uh, the people from who you learn for Bitcoin. The people that I'm trying to orange peel are actually my friends, people around me, my family. Uh, with the clients that I work, it's a little bit hard because there are different type of people. Something that very influenced me from the second conference that Plamen made is uh, something that Jeff Booth said there. And this is the way and the approach that I'm trying to use from now, from then on, especially for people that are very anti-crypto because they always connect Bitcoin with crypto, with scam. There's something interesting Jeff Booth said. It was like, don't speak with them about Bitcoin. Ask them about the financial system, if they know that, if they know how the financial system works, if they know how their money works, if they know what is money. It's something also that Plamen keeps speaking about all the time in the podcast. podcast. So from my point of view, and so far, this is my best tactic to speak with people and to get into conversation who can lead to a deeper and deeper thoughts from them, asking them if they know actually what their money is, what they are, how they work, and what is the financial system, what is the government, what is the central bank. Some of the people, yes, uh, they lose interest, but some of the people, some of my friends, got actually interested, they're still not ready. I, I cannot say that I have orange pill actually someone so far, but having in mind that I found Bitcoin in uh, 2021st, April, I think I still have some time. <laughs> More or less, this is what I, I'm focused on, like type of orange peeling people, like having conversation with people not directly for Bitcoin, but to make them understand, because I know what I was before that, I haven't thought of any of this thing. I can't believe that for so many years, it was a taboo for me, something that I didn't know. And as I told you, my plans, because my profession as an interior designer is far away from having something connected with Bitcoin, I would like to reorganize myself and to have some completely different field in the near future. So this is what I'm working on. And I'm looking and trying to have some more knowledge about programming and so on, which will take me, I guess, a lot of time, but this is the way. I, one thing that I'm, I've been thinking about a lot is in Czech, they have this Parallelopolis project and then they have this history of building a parallel uh, economy and i think that in bitcoin we may end up having to do something similar once they implement cbdc's in enough places and make things dystopian enough the only way to keep yourself free will be to uh, trade with other bitcoiners in an economy that's parallel to uh, the uh, prison economy so uh, we will need interior designers we will need all different trades because uh we need each other to have a complete society. Another thing that I was thinking about when I'm listening to you is, you know, sometimes I reflect over myself and I 
remember these days when the Jesuits or Jehovah's Witnesses uh, would knock my door and I would invite them in just because I felt that nobody would, else would open the door. And, you know, I was an atheist, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't really care about the message. I just wanted to be nice and invite them for a coffee. But sometimes I really feel like that. I have become one of them that, uh, you know, the way you're describing, trying to find angles that, that can start the conversation. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like a religion. You finally find this um, truth. You just really want to share it with other people. So um, we have uh, Victor's wife. Uh, she's next to him. Hey. Hi. We're talking about you and your art. <laughs> yeah, I heard. Yeah. Uh, do you it. have any Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> That's what I heard. I haven't seen it. But uh, Plamen said he put it everywhere in the conference. And uh, can you tell us more? Well, I have um, many of my work. Uh, I have uploaded it and on Twitter. I have an uh, account in Instagram. So if anyone is interested, I can send them a link to the accounts. Are you interested in anything else, like how everything happens with the paintings? Yes. Well, uh, I think it was like 2019 when Victor suggested to me uh, the idea of that we can start making paintings that are crypto-related. And he showed me uh, a French artist that it's doing this for many years. At first, I was very surprised that people are actually interested in this. Later, we discovered that we have really great ideas and we started making this because we are both passionate about this idea with Bitcoin. The first real painting that we made, we gave it to Plamen. We later started to, make, uh, to sell paintings. The people were, were very interested in the art and then we made two big paintings for the first conference. It was very <laughs> exciting. And I, I think that the paintings were a hit. <laughs> um, so if anyone is interested, they're uploaded on my Twitter account. You can see them. Nice. Uh, I asked uh, Plamen to tweet out. He sent a couple of pictures here in the DM. They look really cool. There's this lady, what do you call it? The um, Statue of Liberty, but on a... Mm -hmm. uh, naked lady with this bitcoin flag she looks like i don't know if it's inspired by statue of liberty or if it's some sort well, of yeah. it's inspired by the painting of the french revolution ah, there okay. about that yeah what's her name this is it sean d'arc or someone else i'm not sure about the name <laughs> of the lady but we just wanted to express the bitcoin revolution with this iconic painting yeah, it's very revolutionary, the painting. I love it. You can feel the mm -hmm. movement inside it. And then there's, is that your uh, husband as well, Victor, next to the painting? Or there's a bit, oh, no. uh, there's <laughs> no, a Bitcoin sun, and then there's a line, there's a guy <laughs> lying naked. <laughs> Sorry, I, I constantly, I resend the same pictures that I uh, have uh, uh, saved uh, on my phone and I've uh, sent previously to people on Twitter when I was talking about the amazing Bitcoin art uh, by Pangua. And uh, the, the person next to the second uh, painting that you're describing now actually is the owner 
who uh, bought it during the first conference that we made. So we brought these two massive paintings. They are like 160 meters by 90 uh, centimeters. And um, they uh, they got sold off on uh, on an auction. And this is the winner of the auction for the uh, second painting. So he's like, you know, like the proud owner next to the painting. And this is, uh, yes, it's on Victor. <laughs> okay. Can you please uh, tweet this, Plavan, so that uh, the audience can uh, follow yep, and, yep, yep. And, and buy the paintings? Very inspiring. I must say that I get the sense that the Bulgarian community is very strong. It seems like there's been a, a lot of people from the Bulgarian community tuning in. Very active group of people. I get the sense that you've done something really great there building the community. And I, I checked how many people live in Bulgaria uh, before this space, and I was surprised it's only close to 7 million people if it was uh, uh, 6.8 or something. It's not that big. I thought it would be like 30 million people or something, but it's actually a fairly small country. So uh, if anyone wants to ask a question, we have Nikolai uh, hopping up here. Hello. Okay, so my first question maybe to Plavan, when is the next conference? Uh, to be honest, it's not going to be this year, most probably, because first reason is that there is a lot of work needed in order to organize another one. And uh, I got exhausted last year because last year we had two editions and uh, uh, that's it. I'm just exhausted. I'm just exhausted and I would like to postpone. That's the first reason. It, it, it's not just that, though. The second reason is that having in mind the success of uh, last year's, the, the first one being only with Bulgarian speakers, but the names that we wanted to be on the list and uh, the second one being uh, international, again, with one of these big names. I feel like it's going to be hard for us to be able to outdone ourselves. So uh, in order to have the biggest possible impact from the conference, being educative and at the same time giving the possibility for people to network in person, I feel like a better place would be next year during the halving. By during the halving, I mean the year of the halving, with the idea that hopefully by that time we will have new people, newcomers who are not yet well educated on the topic of Bitcoin. They do not make uh, you know the difference between Bitcoins and uh, Bitcoin and shitcoins and so on. So I feel like the people who would come to a conference today, right now, are the same ones who came as uh, uh, earlier. Martin said on the first conference and the second conference, and I'm sure that Martin would come to the third conference and so on. But I feel like in order to have a better impact, better value being uh, created, I, I would like for new uh, newcomers to ha uh, to come. And we know what happens uh, when uh, we hit a bear market. When is the correct time for people to get interested, understand, educate themselves? Usually people just care about the price chart and they, they just go away. That's it. They don't show any, any interest. And the other thing is, again, today, uh, just like in 10 seconds, we have macroeconomic uh, events happening with the Fed interest rate uh, rising and the banks start failing. I feel like next year, a lot of uh, people will be ready to hear about Bitcoin today. A lot more people than they are today. Okay. And uh, do you think to join forces with maybe crypto people or altcoins, baguette, or other crypto communities so that they can release the pressure from you and help you with the organization? Yes and no. Meaning, we don't want to make a shitcoin conference, we want to make a Bitcoin conference. So if you're going to talk about Shiba Inu and what is the next 100x potential gem, we don't want to do that. No. 
for that, anyone is free. I'm not interested in that. Everyone is free to talk about uh, wonging, shorting, and so on. I personally am interested in separating money from the state. This is what I want to achieve. But joining forces, though, with uh, more people, I'm all up for that. I took the time to email all the media uh, media companies in Bulgaria. From them, only five responded. And only two, three actually mentioned the Bulgarian Bitcoin conference. So this was the largest and the Bitcoin conference in Bulgaria where we brought people from 10,000 kilometers away and still only a few medias decided that it's worthy to cover uh, our conference. And about Outcoins BG, and uh, which is a, uh, for people who don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a Bulgarian exchange like uh, Kraken or Binance and so on uh, that works on a local level with supporting Bulgarian language and website in uh, Bulgarian language. I did contact all of them, all the different uh, uh, Bulgarian exchanges. I did offer them if they would like to support the Bulgarian uh, Bitcoin conference. There were sponsor uh, sponsor uh, packages which could have alleviated some of the financial pressure that the conference had. Obonix was the only one who uh, said yes. We are uh, all for that. We want to support the, the event. Hopefully, for the next one, after we already you know like proven ourselves that uh, you know we are uh, making successful conferences, more Bulgarian uh, Bitcoin and crypto companies uh, who offer uh, Bitcoin services will uh, be willing to uh, support us. Okay, thank you for your answer. Great questions, as well, Nikolai. Thank you very much. Okay, let's do a, a roundup round where each one of you uh, share your final thoughts. We have another song, and uh, it is Edvin Tveni by Slavi Trifonov and Sofi Marinova. After that club party, you go home with a lady and put this song as she unzips your pants. It's supposed to be romantic, uh, they say. Yeah, so uh, as I said, the writers of these texts uh, are the speakers here, uh, but they want to choose to remain anonymous. <laughs> Nikolai is putting the thumbs down here. He doesn't want to associate with this text, I guess. I'm putting on the song while he's putting the thumbs down. <laughs> video is showing a bold guy in a private jet i think and then uh this uh, singing lady um i didn't really get that it was a romantic song from watching the video honestly i thought it was a businessman that was complaining about his uh troubles anyways maybe we start with strevko um, 
please uh, share some uh, roundup thoughts, anything, you know, it could be, uh, you know, experience from the space, something that you're doing, something that you want people to know, whatever you want to share. Well, I'm actually glad for uh, this whole Twitter space because the idea is really good to show uh, different parts of the Bitcoin community in different parts of the world. I hope that all of the listeners today realize that Bitcoin is international. It's it's available in every country and everybody in Bulgaria who is in here is working towards a similar-minded goal of just explaining Bitcoin not as a Ponzi scheme, not in the money aspect, but in the fundamental. We're not trying to sell a product. We're just trying to show people what Bitcoin is, how flawed the financial system is, and do it in an interesting way. Plamen does uh, his almost daily podcast now. It was daily at one point, but I guess it's not anymore. He uh, reads news from all over the world, translates them to Bulgarian, and some people really struggle with that. So I really appreciate his work and all of the work on all people in this space. And it's a really good idea. I'm really happy to be a part of it. Thank you, Zdravko, for joining and sharing your story. And uh, with that, uh, Martin, do you want to go next? Ever since I got familiar with Plamen and everything he do, there's a lot of things in my mind. And since then, I don't look Bitcoin as uh, anything else but future, as uh, something that you give to the other people. Satoshi made something that one in a million people is able to do. So I'm always thinking about one quote from a movie very close to me uh, saying that our lives is, are not our own and from womb to tomb we are bound to others past and present and by each crime and every kindness we birth our future a lot of people are doing a lot of kindness and they are sharing and uh, spending their precious time to give knowledge to other people so I would like to thank Plamen and I would like to thank to any other person making this so selfishness to make a better future. Thank you so much, Martin. That was uh, some poetry. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Nikolai. Yes, so I'll be, I'll be short. Nothing in this world, no state, no technology, nothing can survive without people. So I consider Bitcoin being just a very, very good way of connecting the right people with the right mindset. And to make this or anything else succeed, we need this uh, human energy and this positive vibe in general. Because as I told you, nothing is more important than networking. Nothing is more important than building trust. And I believe that Bitcoin has all the tools within itself to, to be a success now and in the future. Again, through people through the network of people and through the trust that it builds in the network of people. People listening in are, are here are already maxis. They don't need to be orange peeled or something like that, but still yeah, consider this, that Bitcoin will not succeed if there are not people involved. So be involved and involve people. Thank you so much, Nikolai. And uh, I'm also a uh big networker myself i really like to connect with people and connect people so it was uh, interesting to hear about your uh, linkedin experience uh, victor 
Yeah, Lucas, first of all, I wanted to think about this space and uh, this talk about Bitcoin here. Of course, I would like to thank Juan for everything that he did for the short period of time. For me also, the networking is the most important uh, aspect. And uh, as I said, also the painting, the paintings and everything that we uh, were able to do was uh, connecting with the right people. From what I said earlier in the beginning of uh, this uh, Twitter space was that I see Bulgaria uh, that have suffered a lot from all of those fake promises and all of those lies uh, made by people. So this is the reason personally for myself why I see Bitcoin as a need for us as a society, as a community. And I wish to see more truthful things and uh, reliable things in a world uh, built of lies. Thank you. Very beautiful. And would you, would your wife uh, like to add a word as well? <laughs> She's here, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Pam. Say something. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that I can make my art for people who are fighting for such a great cause. And the uh, thing I think it's the most important thing it's freedom and this is what bitcoin gives us and i love to express my art with this and to associate it with this thank you so much for doing that it looks really amazing and now we have the tweet shared at the top of the space so everybody listening you can now follow pamela ig 98 and uh, her art yeah, I just wanted to mention that uh, the, the person who bought the second painting is my business partner. Ah, nice. Is it hanging on your office wall? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Cool. That's uh, really awesome. I want yep. one of the paintings. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe pass through Bulgaria this summer. I'm going to do a road trip through Eastern Europe. Plamen, thank you so much for organizing this. It's been a true Hello. pleasure. Hello. Okay, so anyway, uh, just using the moment to say thanks for everyone who came to listen. Thanks for everyone who uh, worked on the organization. And uh, yeah, just initiatives like this are important in order for us to be able to find each other and understand how larger the Bitcoin community is. Because maybe it's not that big in your uh, town, the one that you live in. Maybe it's not that big in your country. But... We Bitcoiners are quite a bit and we shouldn't allow anybody else to tell us what is money. I personally decide what is money to me. And if someone else finds the same thing as being money, we decide that this is money. So therefore, thanks again for everyone who tuned in. Thanks again for everyone to, uh, that, uh, you know, like uh, made all of this happen. Thank you for my colleagues and friends who joined us today and took the time to come and uh, speak and represent Bulgaria. Uh, we will be happy, you know, like to meet again, even if it's online or offline on one of the amazing uh, European or uh, uh, Western or now even African uh, Bitcoin conferences. Yeah. Okay, everybody, we uh, have this last little part that we do uh, where everybody unmutes together. But before we do that, I just want to say a couple of words. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to do this space together with you and to hear uh, the Bulgarian history about what's been happening in Bulgaria in Bitcoin and shitcoin uh, with the one coin craziness. Uh, I didn't know it was so big. And now when you were talking about it, I recall like, oh, yeah, 
that lady, I remember the pictures of her. Then also, it seems like this is one of the strongest uh, Bitcoin communities that we've encountered during our almost 50 different spaces that we've done with 50 different countries. Congratulations on that to all of you. And I think Plamen has been a big contributor. We got a little course on how to do a conference, a successful conference. That was really good material as well. I hope people can take notice. And uh, with those words, I just want to say that Global Bitcoin Fest, we're all about these Bitcoin communities, about the Bitcoin maxis in these different communities doing interesting stuff. We want to connect with them. We want to hear their stories. We want to connect them to each other across borders. We just love this. It's fun. It's interesting. And uh, this was one more of those super interesting interactions. I hope I can visit you guys when I come to Bulgaria or East Europe this summer. going to do a road trip. I want to see uh, Sofia. I want to see some of the uh, art, the Bitcoin art specifically. I want to have a coffee with you or a beer. I guess maybe that's what you should have in Bulgaria. Guys, please unmute. Let's do this together. And I want everybody to unmute at the same time. Exactly. Nikolai, Zdravko, Martin, please unmute. Zdravko, please unmute. Don't don't mute yourself. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Before this, um, Dax Sosa, can you just give us one word about your giveaway? 25 prices of 20,000 20, sats. And it's an amazing space. I will recording for post-productions. And now the time for this space is four hours and five minutes. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Dax. So 500,000 sats distributed by Dax. Great work. And uh, how do you say goodbye in Bulgarian uh, or goodnight or whatever you would like to say? That's long. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to say... If you want to say goodbye, goodnight, yeah. If you want to say goodbye, you say dovizdene or ciao. If you ciao. want to say goodnight, you say dekanost. Okay, so let's say it all together, whatever we want to say then. I say dovizdene. 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 Hey, <laughs> ciao. And <laughs> with that, please stay unmuted. We're going to listen to one last song, Naparogi. Ibivam by Gary Nicol featuring 100 Kila. This song is part of the reason. <laughs> it promotes teen sex, drinking drugs, dating much older guys, being flashy and scandalous <laughs> for attention. Yes, we are screwed. Have I told you, Bulgarian population is melting. I guess this is another of these songs that you may have been fighting about before uh, this space. Uh, uh, the video is definitely worth watching. It's not uh, high culture. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Ну, 
Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. 